Please note, for maximum picture quality, it may be necessary to adjust the tracking control on your VCR. This film offers up the ultimate quandary. What if you could not go outside, there was a heatwave on, and your girlfriend is the most attractive person ever in the world, but you just want to stare at your neighbours? This is Adjust Your Tracking, a podcast where we're on adventure to watch a century cinema decade by decade year by year. <laughs> I am one of your hosts, Liam. <laughs> Why did I do that so quickly? I know, I was like, <laughs> I couldn't work out if it was the internet like catching up with itself or if it's actually you speaking that fast, but that was amazing. It was like one of those radios when they're doing the T's and C's. I just got on a flow and I was like, ah, oh, it's accelerating, <laughs> what can I do? Like... Anyway, I'm Liam. Hi, I'm Ollie. I am super, how are you? Yeah, I'm super actually. I'm I'm good too. It's it's hot. It's spring. Springtime. Yeah, it's has actually come. a really nice day today. Yeah, and it's been nice like the past week. Mm. And I've been stuck inside, staring out my window when the heat yeah. has been coming up. Pretty and, much the same for me as well. And someone else has been doing that too, haven't they, Mister Jimmy Stewart, our good friend Jimmy Stewart? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but before and, we get to that, we need to talk about some films that we may have watched in the, the last couple of weeks it's been a while since we've been a while since we uh oh yeah you've been uh, making a music video haven't you like i did another music video um yeah it's all right it's a, it's a bit of a it's not my typical kind of music video that i make it doesn't have any blood or snot in it for a start <laughs> um but it's, it's all not, right it's, it's like, not classic jones <laughs> yeah it's uh it's for a guy called miles kennedy who's the singer of a band called alter bridge they're kind of like a Oh, I know. Middle American rock band that are a bit... Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's his own solo stuff. And uh, it's kind of like a... It's a very on-the-nose video about kind of, you know... Not that climate can change. Climate can change? What the hell Climate can change. (laughs) Climate can change. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it can. (laughs) Climate change and, you know, like, you know, wildlife and stuff like that. Yeah, um, I saw you. You put a Ninja Turtle into it. Well, actually, that wasn't my doing. I don't believe that was me. actually in because normally when I do a music video, bands on me go, "Okay, here's the song. What do you want to make out of this?" This mm-hmm. time, they gave me a whole breakdown of what they wanted to beat. For oh, me. okay. So, like, I had no. I didn't really have any um, much impact really in, input into it really. And they said we want a turtle that kind of. Um, Pulls its bandana on. <laughs> I was like, okay, okay, <laughs> that's what. So that's everyone wild, thinks actually. that's my doing, but it's not. Yeah, I did. I definitely thought it was you. I have to say, I yeah, thought, well, at least wasn't. he's got that into it. Is this? <laughs> did what video did he see to hire you? Like, is this like from the Prodigy video? Maybe because it sounds like a little bit similar. Like... No, so I did a video for this guy called Me and That Man, and that's the solo project of a guy called Nurgle, who's in a band called Behemoth, which are like a dirty oh, yeah. kind of black metal band <laughs> and um he's just on the same for his solo project he's on the same label as nurgle's solo projects and so okay. they just saw it and just so yeah so they just said we want that animation style but with cutesy animals whereas the other video is called burning churches and it's 
It's pretty revolting. <laughs> Not revolting, but like, like Nurgle, like, because he's from Poland. Yeah. And like, you know, like, because Poland's he's from very, Poland. <laughs> it's like a very religious, religious, like, place. Oh, I and, see. And, uh, yeah, it and is. He's yeah. like, and he's in a lot of trouble. He's been in court and he's been arrested and stuff like that for like anti, you know. Um, wow, well, like obscenity laws. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Ollie, he's, he's you can't fighting go to Poland now. <laughs> hey, I've got nothing to do with it. Again, that video <laughs> was pretty much following what they wanted as well. <laughs> That's kind uh, of weird. I didn't think artists are normally that exact over the music videos, really. But I guess some you, are and some, some are. Yeah, I guess it changes. And you worked with like a little team this time as well. Is that one of the first time you've worked with other animators, isn't it? Like, am well, I right about that? The Prodigy video, we had a few had a few of the animators. Uh, sure. had like three weeks to do that. And again, for this one, they were like, we've got three weeks. And I was like, well, you got to cough up some more dough then because I'll have to hire some other people. Yeah. So, you know, got to hire some other animators, which was nice. And that was kind of fun working that way? Or? Um... Yes and no. I mean, it's really cool that I get to help like uh, some younger animators and you know totally. help them uh, make some money and you know work you know have some footage for their showreel and you know they get paid as well, um, which is something you know I'd have loved to have had that when yeah. I was younger, but I never really got that opportunity. Boohoo! But um, boohoo! But yeah, it's nice oh. to pass it on, pass it forward and stuff like that. And then you never know, like hopefully you know. The labels may contact Sam or Jake yeah. in the future and say, and you know, and hopefully they can get work themselves that way as well, and then they yeah. can hire me then and boss me around. <laughs> and like, did it give you a bit of an insight what it would be to be like a director on like an animated film when you do have teams of teams of animators, or was it uh, was it still yeah, a feeling bit. a little bit like you know your normal work? Uh, a little bit. I mean, I'd love to have had more time that I could say like. You know, you normally do your character design, you do your turnaround, so you sure. say this is the front, this is the side, this is from the top, this is what it looks like, smiling, frowning, do all that. I literally had the chance, the time to draw one animal for each animal, like, you know, <laughs> sure. and say, just do sure. it kind of like that. So, <laughs> yeah, it like, kind of looks like this. <laughs> so in my head, when I'm watching a video, even though Jake and uh, Sam did great work, it doesn't, none of them, to, in my head, they kind of all, they they match to a certain extent, but they I can tell whose is whose. Yeah, sure. But I don't sure. know if people who are not connected to the video probably don't see that. I don't know. I didn't really see much, if I'm honest. Yeah. A little bit, so I was like, hmm, but not really. Only because I, only because I knew, you know, that you were working with an animators. I watched it with that yeah. eye, really. But I didn't notice anything though. But I think it's for a music video and stuff. I think it's fine to kind of, yeah, like be all over the place. Not be all over the place, but kind of mix it up a bit. I think if you're doing a feature film, then that's a bit different. You've kind of got to sure. be on model and kind of, but uh, you know. But yeah, so what have you been up to? Anything? Um, no. <laughs> I've, been, <laughs> I've been working. I've been. I've got a paper that I'm trying to get out. Um, it's crawled up to six thousand words when it, I was aiming for like four thousand. Um, and my work is mental at the moment because one of my members of the team is sick so oh. it's just i've been like overworking and work and then coming back and trying to write this paper up and it's just been breaking me a little bit i think really but i've got figures left to do i've done all my references bibliography i've done about three edits of it um and i now just need to draw the figures and draw the illustrations and stuff like that and uh, but it's quite an illustrative paper so there's actually quite a lot of figures to make i've probably got something like 16 figures to make or something which when you say so this- figures what do you mean 
Um, a lot of different things could be photos of of what I'm talking about. Or it could well majority of my stuff will be data and and maps based on data. So I use a lot of lidar and things like that. So well, if you need me drawings of Batman or Ninja Turtles, <laughs> I'm more than happy to offer my services. <laughs> Do you remember um, when I was at university and one of my projects was... Is this the to... Tony Robinson thing? Yeah, and you drew yeah. a, a logo for my archaeological company, which is Tony Robinson. <laughs> I do remember that. <laughs> that was good. That was good. I think it gave me extra credit at uni. <laughs> and have, like, have you been watching anything during all the time you make? I have. So I had a whole month of watching bugger all so this week i managed to sit down and watch a few films so i actually watched uh zach snyder's justice league oh did you so thoughts uh do you know what i actually kind of liked it sure <laughs> i thought you might <laughs> like like i'm a bit iffy on him as a filmmaker you know um yeah but like when when i take out my love for those characters and just accept it as a zach snyder film yeah, sure. It's perfectly fine. Do you know what I mean? And it's it's like it was just enjoyable and like compared to what we were given before, it's it's night and day. Yeah, it honestly um, is. <laughs> um like I think Batman was still underserved in this one, I think. Batman just felt yeah. a bit out of his element, I think, in this one. Like it, Batman, it just didn't work for me. He was stupid. Uh, he had like I think I said it last time when I was talking about it, he has nothing to do and it's yeah. like they give they give him nothing. Like all, he, all his mm. whole plot thing is, he kind of wants Superman to be back. Like that's kind of it. Like, yeah, that's it's just boring. Um, I thought the Flash was great, actually. Like he's not the he's not quote unquote my Flash. Yeah, sure. But for this film, I thought he he worked really well, and you know, I liked his his story and stuff like that, and what he went through. And I thought uh, Cyborg was good as well. Um, yeah. It's- Wonder Woman, I'm still not completely sold on Gal Gadot as an actress, to be honest. Okay. But I think she's perfectly fine as um, Wonder Woman. But I actually yeah. like uh, Jason Momoa as Aquaman. I think he's fun. I really like Jason uh, Momoa too. Yeah. And I just thought Steppenwolf was so much better in this. <laughs> well, it actually was a character. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, th- I actually kind of quite liked his design in a weird way. Like, I'm not okay. saying it's amazing or anything like that, but like, it just kind of this film kind of just worked for me because I knew what to expect. Right, and right, right. I think when you go into it with that mindset, and it, it wasn't as dour as, say, like uh, Batman v Superman, which no. and that film was really oddly paced and yeah. really bizarre, yeah. whereas this had, even though it's just four hours long, it felt, it didn't feel like four hours when I was watching it. No, I agree. The only um, thing that I did, I, th- I thought felt like four hours long was the epilogue, which I thought was dreadful, frankly. Like, um, I, didn't, I didn't find it that long. I, f- I find it a bit like because you were saying to me like, oh, he didn't feel like the Superman. You know, he f- he felt like the Dower Superman. And so watching it, I thought, you know, he's only in it for like not even an hour. It's true. I think. Yeah. yeah. As Superman. Um, and when he comes back and I quite like that scene when he comes back and that. But I think had they have put him in the like as this blue and red and blue suit when he comes back to fight Steppenwolf, I think that would have just had more impact just because he's that, he's that bright light that you, they were waiting for and hoping for, but no, he turns yeah, up in I... this black and gray suit and everyone kind of jazzes over that. And I'm like, he wears that suit in a dream sequence in Man of Steel anyway. So I don't know why everyone's so like jizzing all over it. But, um, and as I, I just like, wish he was wearing his suit, but yeah, I agree. Cause it was, they, they 
show it as this like like resurrection of Superman, and then he comes back as not really Superman. You know what I mean? It just is, yeah. had less of an impact for me. And then you have the the dark version of Superman, where all like so they they bring him back, and they're like, "Yeah, this is Superman." And then straight away you have the epilogue, and he's like, "Oh no, he's a murderer again." <laughs> like, <laughs> fuck! Like, can he not just be one? <laughs> just ha- oh, just can we not so just have kind of Superman? Me, but in I knew it, like in the so in the um. In that epilogue, he's wearing the blue and red suit, isn't he? It's like, what well, can you at least flip it? Yeah, it have would have made so much more sense if. And... Yeah, that would have made so much more sense. Yeah, like. But I know why they did that. It's because he wears the red and blue suit in the, in the kind of, you know, that weird scene in Batman v Superman where he like I think he kills Batman with his heat vision. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I think I remember that. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, look, it's not amazing, but I actually. <laughs> had a good enough time with it and I think I think yeah. I mean I don't know if they if they released like a, a three hour version of this at the time like in 2017 or whatever if it would have made any more money or been even no. any more well received or whatever but um maybe time's been. been good to it and it's yeah. kind of yeah that's kind of helped it a bit but um that's what I, th- and I I'm think just it's nice that a guy with like he's got a very particular vision and I like, if if there's one thing that bugs me a lot about some of the Marvel films are they feel very similar and a bit... I don't want to say generic, because that's a bit unfair. But they're all of a piece. Whereas, yeah. you know, Zack Snyder comes in with his visual style, which is, you know, you either love it or you hate it, and there's no in-between. Yeah. Well, maybe there is an in-between. Maybe I'm a bit in-between. But, um, and I kind of... I have to applaud that someone with such a, a vision is able to... is given that much money to make this kind of thing. It may not be to my tastes fully, but... I kind of like the fact that someone with a, a vision, like you know, you know, and like as much as people hate Batman v Superman, it's still talked about nonstop. <laughs> like, who talks about Ant Man or Captain Marvel? No one talks about them. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. I think like um, there's something about it being Zack Snyder's Justice League, and I think I said this last time, but there's something about it being Zack Snyder's Justice League and not Justice League, which sits better with me. Like it's yeah. more like it's like it's an its own little thing. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah, um, and that makes some reason that raises it in my expectations. That makes it better for me. I don't know why. Yeah, but yeah. Like, well, you can just put it over there and say that's that thing. Yeah, that's that. And and like, yeah, yeah. I I tell you what, though, I can't wait for this Batman film. Though. I watched the trailer again the other day, and I'm like just so jazzed for it. I got. Why am I saying jazzed? I never say jazz ever. <laughs> And I've said it about twelve times today. What's going on? <laughs> Is you um? What do you mean the new Matt Reeves one? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm looking forward to that too. Oh uh, yeah. I also managed to, because I signed up for uh, Now TV because I thought I'm not going to legally download it. I'll watch it mm. like uh, legitimately, but not pay for it. So I signed up for the seven day free trial. So okay. Thought, While I'm on here, I'll it watch counts. um. Uh, ah shit! What's it called? Uh, Promising young woman. Oh, cool. And um, I liked it, but I think the trailer was selling me a different film. Oh, okay. I haven't seen the trailer. I felt. And um, like I thought Carrie Mulligan was fantastic in it. She was great. Yeah, I think so too. I thought visually it looked really cool. Yeah. Um, I thought the music was a bit, at the beginning, it was a bit bombastic with all like the pop music and stuff. But then either 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 I settled into it or it kind of, it lessened as the film went on either way right. or two, but 
but it stopped being an issue for me. But my biggest issue with it is, like, I was expecting it to be a bit more full on as a revenge kind of thing. I see. Whereas, I see. like, when you when you find out what her, what when she give when she gets her revenge on these people or kind of does her like superhero kind of like not superhero <laughs> but you know when she's because she's like calling these people out or you know signaling them yeah. out and then kind of going after them and the fact that they're all actors who are in like either teen films or teen dramas and stuff like that and i think that was very purposely you know they picked mclovin and they picked the guy from the oc and stuff like that to be these kind of not like her victims or whatever you're not her victims do you know what I mean? Like her, the ones that she kind of goes after, signals yeah. out, kind of. Um, it kind of came across a little bit like CW, bit okay, teen drama, okay. and especially like how it all plays out at the end. Yes. Like I was quite shocked how it ended. Yeah. But then, it, like, what she does after that felt like Thirteen Reasons or whatever it's called that like Netflix show. Did you ever <laughs> okay. See that? Yeah, I haven't watched it, but I know it. It's where a young girl, like, she commits suicide, but she leaves, like, 13 tapes for all the people who kind of influenced her into doing what she did. Oh, okay. And oh. it kind of happened. But I, I thought it was good. But I don't, I, don't, I don't know if I loved it as much as everyone else did. But I've also seen some people who really hate it as well. Yeah, it's getting quite a lot like of backlash her, at the moment. On Letterboxd and stuff. Yeah, I think Yeah, I think it's, it's one of those films that got a lot yeah, of praise. Yeah, I think a lot of people, then... like, from what I read, because they think, oh, the police are like, they just pop up at the end and save the day. And it's like, well, where the fuck were they like throughout the rest of the film? Do you know what I mean? Why are we suddenly like uh, celebrating the police yeah. coming into kind of... Into it, yeah. That's true. That is true. But like, as I said, like the performances are great. Like, you know, um, the mo- who plays a mom? It's um, it's Stifler's mom, isn't it, from American Pie? <laughs> it is. It is. It is. I can't remember her name. <laughs> yeah. But a uh, great cast, and um, I think it's a well-deserved Oscar nom. Yes, I think I think it is. I think so. But I just had a few issues with it. But overall, I thought it, I thought it was a well-made, uh, good little thriller. Yeah, 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 yeah. Same. Just had a few little niggles with it. I, I I think I kind of saw it as like not just a well-made thriller, but I thought I saw it as kind of like um, a stylistic thriller, and, and and because of the stylisticness of it, I really enjoyed that. Spoiler alert, spoiler alert, skip ahead about five or six minutes. So, like, I just want to get into some spoilers. But, like, sure. do you think she went into the final the final part of the film knowing she was going to die, so she was essentially committing suicide, or do you think she just did that as, like, a contingency plan? I think she went in kind of knowing she was going to die. That's how I read it. Yeah. But I saw it, yeah. There have, there, I have seen, like... um. Like the big backlash I keep seeing about the film is kind of like you you don't try and destroy the master's house using the master's tools, you know that kind of analogy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and whilst I absolutely cannot disagree with that, I also think like, I mean, revenge. These revenge films have always been a thing, really. Um, yeah, when just, we talked about one of them. Yeah, exactly. Like, um, and I like it being done from the other point of view. From yeah, female, no, yeah, like see, and that, that style of it, so I think whilst I don't disagree with like that backlash, I still think there's a place for it, and and that it's still quite watchable. I guess. I yeah, guess. yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I mean, I have to admit, I saw the twist coming with a boyfriend, 
Yeah, I did. <laughs> but <laughs> I, did I think, <laughs> but again, I think that's pretty obvious because you know that he's friends with all these people that she's going after anyway. So it's kind of like a foregone conclusion. You know that's gonna. That's, that's gonna, gonna happen. Yeah. yeah. I thought. I just thought. I did see this was coming, but I did think maybe he might redeem himself or something. I thought there might be something else to it, but no, there yeah. wasn't really. Well, see, I thought at the at the party, like the the wedding at the end, I thought he was going to say something or do something. Yeah, like I thought he was going to, but like it does kind of show how shitty a lot of like I'm sure there are a lot of men that are like this, and it just made you feel a bit sad. Really, it did. Yeah, I, I it did feel very re- not realistic is the wrong word, but it's just something that feels it felt. And you know real. that happens. Yeah, you know I mean? exactly. Um, yeah, yeah, and that was. Made it quite un- uncomfortable, really. Yeah, and I did think like the casting of all the men in the film is great. Like just the- oh, it's it's definitely on purpose, isn't it? To have all yeah. these people, you kind of like you know, you, Seth from you know his character Seth from the OC. Like he's the the likable guy that kind of pines after the girl. Which <laughs> yeah. I guess if you look back at it now, can also look a little bit. Uh, what's the word? Negging or whatever. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. But when you're you know when you're a teenager and you're listening to all these kind of emo pop punk songs all of them are kind of negging songs aren't they really like yes. even if you listen to like dismem uh uh what are they called um what are they call the fucking what, milo goes to college what are they called the band uh, uh descendants, descendants. Sorry. all their songs yeah. all their songs are all about like the girl doesn't like me she's off with another guy fucker <laughs> do you know what i mean it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah 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 totally and it's all very like it all plays into that like very much like male victimhood of kind of like yeah. women are all awful and stuff like that and and they're all at fault kind of thing and stuff and that is a lot of our media <laughs> like it has yeah. been like even just like background noise a lot of our media is that yeah yeah and it makes you think like maybe when i was a kid like and i was pining after a girl and like texting her and stuff like i was like oh shit if i hope i don't come across like that but you know you live and learn and you grow up and you hopefully you become a better person as you get Yeah, on. and I just, there was a sense of this film, like, just being a bit of a weight on the other's balance, you know, like like a bit of a weight on the other side, I guess. But what I did find was interesting, though, as well, though, it kind of, there was the two female characters in it as well. There was the Dean who kind of turned a blind eye to it all. Yeah. And then there was the, the female friend who kind of just kind of like laughed it off as a joke almost and yeah you know, that's, alice and brie and that and, was quite yeah. shocking as well yeah. like to think that that could happen as well like you know i th- both of those felt very real really yeah real i, I to could me. totally like, yeah. see it as well i tell you who i did really like and i thought um uh laverne cox was really good as the like the manager of the cafe just one of oh, those the small fr- roles that feels that just felt quite real to me like yeah she doesn't have much to do with the plot really but like just just populating the cast with good good actors, you know. Uh, Alfred Molina was good as well, and he, yeah, he, he had like two scenes, but I thought he was very good. It makes an impression, doesn't he? I think he yeah. is he unlisted or something. I don't because I don't I don't think he doesn't even doesn't even get like an and or anything like that. I don't yeah, think he's... people want Alfred Molina to know they're in a film because have you seen how much he's like blurbed about Spider Man? <laughs> I'm sure Sony are like shut up, shut up. <laughs> Like, yeah, I just looked it up. He, you're is, in this film. he is uncredited in Promising Young Woman. I thought he was. So it was a surprise oh. in popping up. No, I do like Alfred Molina, though. He's a good, Me he's too. A good actor. He's wonderful, yeah. And I can't, like, yeah, Spider Man. That's going to be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so have you watched anything? Uh, yeah, I've been working through kind of two 
I was going to say two franchises, but one isn't a franchise. But I've been working through like two kind of lists of unwatched stuff, basically. Okay. Um, and one of them is because of you. I started going through the Godzilla films, so I'm, <laughs> I'm, I You're just watched <laughs> Son of Godzilla. So Which one's that watched... one? Like the fourth one, or something? No, it's like seven or something. Like, oh, okay. Um, so I've watched like you know Ghidorah, the three-headed monster. Like uh, Godzilla, King of the Monsters, Godzilla raids again, King Kong versus Godzilla, Invasion of the Astro Monster, <laughs> um, Ebera, Horror of the Deep, and uh, and Son of Godzilla. Son of the Godzilla is fucking weird. It's like all of them are weird. All of them are weird. Or like my favorite thing about the Godzilla films is that like most of them seem to be there's a plot, and then Godzilla turns up. And the plot changes to be about Godzilla. <laughs> like, <laughs> and so often that seems to be what's going on. Like there's like secret agent ones. Like Ebera's kind of like a like a. It's almost like one of those 60s surf films. There's a lot of kind of like like you know like a, like a lot of that kind of like I don't know surf kind of culture or surf kind of music. Like the Batman episode. What was it like? Surf, surf a little Batman bit. Or yeah, totally. That kind of stuff. Like Beach Boysy kind of thing. It's so there's it's. They're fun. I find them incredibly easy to watch. Like, incredibly easy to watch. Well, I guess you don't really have to pay attention, really. You can kind Not of massively. have them on the background. It helps. You... It, it does help to read the dialogue. Just, <laughs> otherwise, you've got no chance of knowing what's Don't they have on. a lot of the same actors kind of popping up? Yeah. Like, like different characters. They do, yeah. But I'm not very familiar with a lot of the act characters. It's it's really weird. It's Maybe I'm not paying enough attention, but like... A lot of the films to me don't feel like sequels. They just feel like another film. Um, right. But Godzilla's in it. Um, and that's... Like, Ebera's so weird. Ebera's got this whole secret agent thing where there's a few little things like the the the, the island, the name's going out of my head, um, Infant Island, which is where Mothra lives. Like, that's, what, okay. that's a plot thing in a lot of the things. Uh, Ebera has the best ever um, hiding as a bush joke that i've ever seen in my life you know like when you're trying to break into somewhere and you disguise yourself as a bush they have oh, okay they do, yeah, yeah they do this in Ebera, like and four of them are hiding behind this like fake bush and they keep moving it forward as the spotlight goes off them and when like a spotlight goes onto them they release doves and they think ah it was the doves making that hedge move isn't that like uh, don't they do that in three amigos <laughs> actually they might do <laughs> I always watched it going, this is fucking amazing. This is this is like just this scene alone is worth watching this film. And it's so there's so much hokiness to them and like like I love Mothra as a character. She is wonderful. She's absolutely wonderful. She's so like she's such a nice, nice person. She's a nice moth. <laughs> like she's always worried about each other hurting each other and stuff like that. Um and I love um Godzilla just gets goofier as it goes along. Like, there's one when he... I think it's Astro Monster when Ghidorah's back. And he does, like, a dance <laughs> when he defeats, like, a, a Ghidorah. <laughs> that, like, jumps in the air, throwing his arms up in the air and kicking his legs out and stuff. And it's like, I can't believe this is where Godzilla got to in very short amount of time from the first Well, like, <laughs> I found it, like, quite interesting that... So it was the third film was King Kong versus Godzilla, and then so the third one of the new yeah. trilogy is is Godzilla versus King Kong. So like I yeah. was thinking, oh, they're getting to that very quickly, but they got there quite quickly. In the they got there place. quickly, yeah. And honestly, the uh, um the the original Godzilla versus King Kong has a lot like the 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 remake. It's it's they must have watched it 
it's weird. Like they must have watched it though, because it it does play very similar. Unless there's you know, there's only so, so much you, you can do. The King Kong in in those films and Kong of Skull Island, they're more the Toho Kong, aren't they? As opposed to like the the universal. So I, yeah, is that right? That's what I've heard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't quite know what the difference is. I just think there's more um, personalization to the King Kong, maybe. Really, yeah. like the same way Godzilla has a lot more personalization to him. I think it's maybe that. Like, but it's. Um, I haven't watched the other Godzilla. Um, sorry, King Kongs, because I didn't even realize there's tons of these films. Like they were making so many of these films that are overlapping each other. Like there's like Mothra film that doesn't have Godzilla in it. There's other like giant. You know the directors were making other kind of um keiju keiju films, but they just didn't have Godzilla yeah, yeah, and yeah. stuff. So that's why it's like some of them. I think like maybe Ebra was the one I was thinking of. It's not called Godzilla versus Ebra. It's called Ebra Horror of the Deep. Like, and I think that film played without you meant to know that it's a Godzilla film. So oh, I think okay. you're meant to be thinking you're watching like another kind so of it's like, surprise <laughs> and surprise <laughs> Godzilla's in it. I don't know if that's true, but this, a lot of those films do play like that. It's really weird. A lot of them like really hold off from showing you Godzilla for a long time, and you're invested in these weird storylines they bring in and things. The only one I really hated, Godzilla King of the Monsters, is quite bad. That's the kind of remake. I mean, the one the Americans kind of reshift it and stuff. And um, Godzilla Raids again is really boring, which was the second one. They basically made the second film instantly. You know, like they almost like. In, within like two months of the first film coming out they had right. a second film out like not that quick but very quick but yeah. then since then i've just been really quite enjoying them and Ghidorah, the three-headed monster is a great film mothra is a great film like uh, really really worth watching and even just the later ones i love how much rock throwing there is i love how most of the fighting <laughs> is like them kicking rocks at each other there's a bit when <laughs> there's a bit when godzilla gets tired during one of the fights and has a nap and then gets up <laughs> and <laughs> keeps fighting like this so it's so like it's so funny, like, and it's meant to be funny, and um, and there's so much wrestling, so much body slamming going on. Like the last one, Son of Godzilla, which Son of Godzilla is basically there's a giant egg, some mantises are attacking it, and out pops out a tiny Godzilla, and whatever plot was going on before the tiny Godzilla happens stops. There's no the humans, it whatever was going on with the humans isn't a plot anymore, and now we're just into this weird like single parent film with Godzilla. Like, and How he, does it go to that from this kind of like personification of like an atom bomb that's just <laughs> like know. destroying a city and it's just like this horrific event going on to this kind of it's weird how it goes. I mean <laughs> you know, apparently they've got like in the new in the American one they've got like flying cars and shit like that in the new ones. It's like really? how have you gone from the Gareth Edwards ones, which is actually quite sick not sick quote unquote quite serious. <laughs> and now it's gone just as goofy, it's just go goofy and the goofiness does work though it does work it is fun um, i mean all credit to Zack snyder he kept his tone from man of yes. steel all the way throughout <laughs> to be fair to him oh it's so weird it's so uh, but so, it's i'm really enjoying going through them i am really am and I, i'm gonna watch all the i don't the shoto shoto era i think is it called oh or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah i'm gonna watch them that's my goal i'm not gonna worry about the millennium era and the rest of them because I'm just going to watch the original era. That's my. You say that. Goal. You say that. Well, and it's my current goal. Time, you'll be. Yeah, like, I know. <laughs> oh, I'm onto the millennium ones now. Um, I just, I, yeah. I was going to say I've also been watching something else, but maybe we should just get on. All. <laughs> no, you can take. Go on. Just talk. 
Because I've been, uh, I've been realizing one director I really have never watched any of his films is Spike Lee. Um, oh yeah. And because of like next miniseries we're gonna do like his great film, like his big film. Yeah. Um, I kind of wanted to kind of watch Spike Lee really, and if I'm very honest, I had seen Malcolm X when I was young, and I'd seen Twenty Fifth Hour as well, but mm-hmm. like um, I didn't really know Spike Lee from anyone. Um, and so it wasn't until like Black Klansman when I really kind of watched a Spike Lee film and went, wow, this guy's really good. Yeah. <laughs> like, and most people don't even like that film that much, but I think it's wonderful. And I thought the same thing about Defied Bloods. Like, so like I'd just been starting going through Spike Lee, really, not in order, just bouncing around. So like I rewatched Malcolm X. I watched 25th Hour. I watched Inside Man. I watched She's Gotta Have It. I watched um, He Got Game. Uh, which don't watch Girl Six. So <laughs> don't good. watch that one. <laughs> uh, watch some of Sam, which I, I think is really great. Uh, and um, I watched Bamboozled as well, which is remarkable. Bamboozled is a remarkable film. Um, He's had such an interesting career, like yeah, it's fascinating career, and I so I'm really, really enjoying it, and I just think he's he's easily one of the best American filmmakers. Oh yeah, um, just easily without question. It's it's but kind of ridiculous he, how much it, he's not even in the dialogue. In, in for me, though, it felt like he kind of got lost for the sure. for like the mid mid two thousands, maybe after Inside Man, to kind yeah. of just before Black Klansman. It's kind of like he kind of got something happened like you know he did the remake of old boy and it's like why why is why is spike lee yeah, doing he did a the remake of, old of boy? remakes like, didn't he because he did that blood of was it blood of jesus as well the, yeah, yeah, the yeah sweet yeah. blood of jesus like he did yeah i that that, that might be even be part of why i'd never really seen spike lee films because like a lot of the t- period i was trying to watch real films you know he was doing these odd remakes that i wasn't didn't have much interest in but yeah, I'm working for Spike Lee. That's my kind of game. And I'm just, yeah, it's really good. Really loving it, honestly. And I think I'll really look forward when we do do the right thing. I think I'll really look forward to watching that then. So I was going to say, just cool. going back to um, Promising Young Woman, there's a connection oh, yeah. to, to our last episode because her mom and dad are watching Night of the Hunter in it. Oh, are they? <laughs> yeah, so there's a bit where they're watching the TV just before she goes out on a date. And, oh, cool. Uh, it's the bit at the beginning when he's driving his car and he's kind of like, Talking oh yeah, to, talking to God or himself. Do you know what I mean? And, yeah, with his driving, oh, his, nice, with his nice. hands on the steering wheel in that really. Yes, awkward. when he's just holding the weird center pillars of the steering <laughs> yeah. wheel. Yeah, that seems purposely placed, doesn't it? About kind of like you know someone chasing people and exactly, yeah, like relentless force kind of thing. That's kind of cool. Well, about people not being who they, you know, who they seem to be. Yeah, and kind of yeah. Yeah, lots of things going on in that film that kind of have. <laughs> anyway. We should move on to our main topic today because we've been talking nope. for, I think, seven hours. We haven't talked um, about you getting rid of your books yet or your <laughs> frames. Or... <laughs> yeah, that's true. I had a clean out of books. I also hung a picture <laughs> up. It's very interesting, my life is. Like... <laughs> um, um, yeah. Today's episode, <laughs> we are tackling... Um, I think if there is... If you ask like like a family fortunes type thing, like ask a hundred people to name like a film oh, director, famous director. Yeah, I think there's two names that would come up basically as the what, top two: Spielberg and I think Spielberg and Alfred Hitchcock. All right, if I there's think... a, if there's a, if you if you have your own uh, Mount Rushmore of film directors, God, God, who would your heads be? <laughs> well, it, well, I mean, personally, it's different, but I think if you're speaking just to like international superstar directors, 
I think, you know, there's Alfred Hitchcock, Kubrick, Spielberg, and oh, maybe, maybe Scorsese. I don't know. Maybe Scorsese. Yeah. As name recognition, that's not my top four or anything like that. Yeah, just yeah, as like, yeah, yeah. And I think, I don't think any of them really come close to Alfred Hitchcock. I think maybe Spielberg. Yeah, but Alfred Hitchcock, it's, I don't think we, we weren't alive when he was alive, but like, we still grew up knowing who Alfred Hitchcock was. I was really surprised when I learned that he was British, for instance, because like, I just assumed he was this huge American director, you know, like, because he made these big American films that I, I knew. Just think about all the films and TV shows that, like, you know, that ape on it, like Simpsons yeah. and... Oh, God, yeah, yeah. Even films like The Burbs are very much, like, referencing, like, um, yeah. Rear Window and stuff like that. And, you know, made... it's, it's just... Im- all of his stuff is just embedded in... Embedded, yeah, in, absolutely. In culture. And, like, he has such a storied career from being like this, you know, British filmmaker making these smaller kind of silent films he started out making. Actually, I broke his career down a little bit into sections because like it's easy to talk about him because I don't think I don't think this would be the last time Hitchcock would be on the podcast. <laughs> like, no, no, no. Um but we might so but it might as well break down like what he's doing in this time period basically. Because we you know he has these kind of British period that he goes through. Um, like and that's about 1920s early 30s um, then he breaks out as like an international success and that's when he's doing like 39 steps a lady vanishes and that's like during like that's the late 30s to 40s and then he does this thing that like no one does and no, even even people still have trouble doing this and it was a huge thing at the time that he basically went I'm going to Hollywood and I found these kind of like um I found these newspaper clippings and like magazine shoots of of following his family getting on the ferry to go over to Hollywood and to to LA and stuff like that. Like it was a big news thing that Alfred Hitchcock was moving to LA and going to make Hollywood films. And he'd been like um he'd been kind of seduced by it's Salznick uh, um who did like uh, the producer who did like um oh, what's it called uh, Gone with the Wind and stuff and he, and he'd, he'd managed to sign like a seven picture deal with uh, Alfred Hitchcock and got him to come over to LA. And during that year, that time, he was meant to do a Titanic film. That's what he wanted to do. That's where he went to LA. He, oh, okay. he, and that's what he was obsessed with doing. And he had everything set up and this filming on like water and stuff like that. Um, that eventually fell through and he hated Selznick for it. Um, and, is but that he the then... film that may have eventually become a night to remember or anything like that? Or is that totally maybe? Separate? I feel like it's one of these things that Alfred Hitchcock was going to make a Titanic and these big directors that have big egos have constantly gone like, I'm doing, I need to do a Titanic because Alfred is Hitchcock like, was going to do it. Is it like you know? Nolan and Scorsese both wanting to yeah. do the Howard Hughes biopic and like one beat them to it? And... Yeah, I think so. I think when Cameron went to make Titanic eventually, I think he knew he was making basically like, you know, what Hitchcock would have done, you know, basically. Do you think so? Or not would have done, but you know, Hitchcock was making a romantic tale out of this. He was Cary Grant and I can't remember the other person. I was always going to be okay. He was, and he had, uh, it was Clark Gable, sorry, and Norma Shear was, was already contracted to the Titanic film and it was going to be a love story on Titanic. Like that's what he was setting up. So I don't know. I don't know. It's all theory. It's kind of like Napoleon with fucking like, uh, like with, um, uh, Kubrick, you know, it's who knows about these lost things. But yeah, he hated uh, Salznick for drop making uh, Titanic fall through. So he uh, instead made Rebecca and won an Oscar because that's just <laughs> like 
So the then, like, fuck you, I can do. Yeah, <laughs> but that was still with Selznick because he had the seven picture deal. Oh, okay. So, so in this time period, he made like Rebecca, Notorious, Rope, Strange on the Train, Dial M for Murder. You know, like just just films that are just absolute tent poles. You know, they're like canon films if you talk about like canon, like. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is just after that time period now. So that's he's made his Hollywood transition. He's a big name in Hollywood. He's probably the biggest director in the world. And he then leaves Selznick and he gets hired by Paramount. So this is his Paramount years. And um, this is kind of the best way to present this time of year is this is his just commercial success. This is just him knocking it out the park, everyone. Every film that opens is huge. Every film that opens, he's got his name on it. It's like, that's the big thing. This is Alfred Hitchcock film. Uh, because of this, he makes like so he makes Rear Window, Vertigo, North by Northwest, um, and this is just the fifties. Uh, what he also does in the nineteen fifties is do Alfred Hitchcock Presents, which later becomes the Alfred Hitchcock Hour, and that's his horror TV show as well. So did he direct those week, as well, or, did, or was that someone else directing? And he just kind of. I think he directed a lot of them. It's hard to find out though. At least he wrote or put, put like he when he talks about it, he talks about it quite personally. Um, so he's seen, I think he had some sort of actual big impact to them, but more than anything else, he just presented himself as a character. So suddenly like, because these stories were opening up with his silhouette and him walking into the silhouette and this music and stuff like that, and him introducing it like the fucking Crypt Keeper, you know, each episode, he became like a, a caricature or a kind of like, like shorthand for just horror. Because he was just in everyone's TV every week, to, to, like presenting There's horror stories. Three hundred and sixty-one episodes. It's ridiculous. I know. It's ridiculous. What the hell? I've not seen one. <laughs> I don't think he directed all of those. That'd be yeah, kind of. It's just weird. Like when I was reading him talking about it, he was very personal about it in a way that like Steven Spielberg isn't. With like you know Steven Spielberg's Amazing Adventures or whatever it was called, like Amazing Stories. Like, um, so like it's. Because of this, it just transforms Alfred Hitchcock from being this like LA director to being just a household name, like a shorthand for horror. And I think because of this, doing this, doing Alfred Hitchcock presents, it changes him, and it's why he still exists in our kind of like world as a character, as horror, as like one of the biggest film directors ever. And I think it's so, because of this like period. So looking at just season one alone, he di- at least directed five or six out of the thirty-nine episodes. But he looked okay. like they had so like he did actually do them. They looked like they had about five or six directors that just kind of rotated. Okay, okay, it's fascinating, yeah. isn't it, that he had a TV show <laughs> like ten like, seasons? It ran for ten years. It's incredible, incredible. That's... Fifty-five to sixty-five, I think it was. Yeah. Um, and then after that, after this time period, is when you get like. He's the world famous director, so that's what he does like Psycho, The Birds, Marnie, and eventually does Frenzies, one of his last films. But you can tell Spielberg definitely tried to ape this because he did like, yes. is it like The Storyteller or whatever it was? Or yeah, he did, no, amazing, he did amazing stories, amazing or whatever stories, it was. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, I think that's why when I'm trying to say like there's two directors that are basically household names, it's kind of him and Spielberg have this kind of like seeping into americana mm. and american like media and then international as well just like in a way that directors don't or directors don't present films in the way alfred hitchcock presented films and like god if you watch you, sh- you should watch it the trailer for the birds is the weirdest trailer i've ever seen in my life like no film trailer has ever been what the trailer for birds is and it i've basically, seen oh, it in 3d in um <laughs> when i went to when I went to Universal Studios in America about 20 years ago, they had one of the whole... Because you know they actually have film studios there. Yeah. Like just big 
warehouse. Like, so one of them was decked out to be like the Alfred Hitchcock experience. I remember going around there and they had like hundreds of like statues of him, like on the wall, like he'd be upside down, he'd be vertical, he'd be like, <laughs> and then they had like uh, a screening room where you watched the birds in 3D, <laughs> the trailer. And then there was an area where like in the distance they had like a Greenwich uh, village set. Oh right, with, like little For video this. screens with like uh, different things going on, and you had binoculars, and you had to find <laughs> the murder going on. That's amazing. That's amazing. But yeah, like so, if you haven't seen it, the trailer for Birds is basically he's in his office. Um, and it opens up with him going like, hello, I've got a new horror experience for you. And this makes a ton of puns about birds for like <laughs> five minutes. Like, and say, and like, I do think they're quite fascinating creatures. And, you know, they, they haven't got any, any anger towards us because we lock them in cages and make them deform and whatever, like this kind of thing. Like, and they've always been quite sinister. It's so weird. It's like, it's only, you could only make a trailer like that for a guy who is just an international character. It wouldn't, like, you couldn't just have a, a director pop up to introduce your trailer like that. Like, the Russo brothers couldn't pop up on the next trailer for, like, a film. <laughs> Be like, hello, we're the Russos. <laughs> like, it's so weird and it just speaks to how like individualistic and how different Hitchcock was not especially as a person but just as a media like icon really mm. more than anything else and add on to that he was a really thoughtful and fascinating filmmaker he like even though his films were popcorn and they were they were huge things like Rear Window was the biggest film of the year he was like a thoughtful and nuanced director who really thought about the art form and really cared about it and got angry about it he was quite you know, on set he was known for being a bully um and yeah wasn't it isn't the old rumor that he hired someone on set to just to fire them on the first day to fire them on the like, first day yeah i don't know if that's think, true or not or if that's just like a myth or whatever but yeah i don't know there's tons of stuff like that like um we'll talk about grace kelly of it all but i think a big like like Grace Kelly is fascinating, but she obviously quit on him. Um, and I think a lot of his career after Grace Kelly was him trying to get Grace Kelly back. So a lot of the kind of blonde like starlets he hires after Grace Kelly, he treats really badly. And it's because well, yeah, I heard that there's a you know I, I haven't seen that many of his films to be honest. You know, shame sure. on me, slap on the wrist. But like, <laughs> like I've heard that you know his representation of women is like. It's very similar. Yeah, because, you know, film. he kind of yeah. makes them kind of like the... Like, They're always like villainous and scheming. Villainous or dumb or something. Yeah, you know what I mean? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Kind of... But like Janet Lee in like Psycho and uh, Tippi Hedren, is it, in like uh, the later films, they had like, I think, quite notoriously bad relationships with Hitchcock on set and he was quite a bully, I think is the best way to put it. And yeah, I think he humiliated it, a lot of them, didn't he, in his yeah. films, kind of. And I think it stemmed from the fact, well, maybe not stemmed, but I think what he liked about working with um, uh, Grace uh, Grace Kelly was that she didn't take any shit. And that's what makes Grace <laughs> Kelly really fascinating as a starlet. And that's why I can't wait to talk about her, because like she didn't take his shit at all. She didn't need to. She had no like no qualms about it. And I think he loved that back and forth. And he constantly tried to get her out of retirement to keep acting for him. And I think he missed that because it was someone like equal to him and he well, could she be died a bully. quite young, didn't she? Well, I mean, the big thing is become, she becomes Princess of Monaco. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, she dies like, when she's like 50, maybe. She wasn't something old. Something like that. No, she wasn't old at all. Um, and she only did what, like five films? 
Is it? Like, yeah, yeah. Um, it's very short. Man. I know it's like though. Jesus Christ. Oh, so. just, just <laughs> gorgeous, just insanely gorgeous, insanely like, beautiful. How, how like, old do you reckon James Stewart was compared to? A... Well, I know, and uh, uh, God, I got so much to talk about. He was forty-six in this film. Like, yeah, so uh, a bit like, of an age. Yeah. Dude. And she difference. was 23. And the funny thing is, is like, and we'll get to it, we always say this, but I don't think this film works if you cast a younger man. I think the age difference actually works. Oh, no, it film. has to be that, yeah, 100% has to be that older person. Um, Because of his, like, his... I think if... I think if a younger man because if you if it was a younger that, man, you go oh you've got to settle down now. That yes. kind of thing doesn't work, do you know what I mean? Doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you think there's a reason a that why he can't get married to her and this is very clear that the reason's him but I think if he's younger you think well maybe there is something about her like that he can't settle yeah, down or he's just he's, young yeah, and yeah. he just doesn't you know yeah yeah absolutely and they do old him, age him up in this he's 46 but he didn't get that go this grey until later in his career so they did age I was going to say I thought his grey hair looked quite good but the other guy you know the, the guy who lives across the hall his grey hair looked like it was like painted grey yeah so that's uh, the great Raymond Burr yeah, uh, yeah, playing, playing, and Raymond Burr, you know from, I mean, you must know Perry Mason and yeah. Ironside, like wonderful actor. Um, I they make him up in this film to look. Was like he the Salzneck. one who was in Godzilla, the American? Yes, yes, yeah. he is in the American. Yeah, the American Godzilla. Yeah. So yeah, he he's his makeup in this is to look like David O. Selznick, uh, the producer that Hitchcock hates. <laughs> That's what he looks like in this film. And if you see them together, they that, yeah, they absolutely were making him look like that. Um, I mean, should we say what film we're talking about? Yes, because I won't <laughs> stop talking. <laughs> so, yeah, we're doing a 1954's Rear Window. This is the scene of the crime. A crime of passion filmed in a way you have never seen before. And as no one else would dare attempt. But the screen's master of suspense, the producer-director who shocked the world with Psycho. This is the apartment of a man named Jeffries, a news photographer whose beat used to be the world. Right now, his world has shrunk down to the size of this window. He's been watching the people across the way. Nobody seems to pull their blinds during a hot spell like this. He knows a lot about them by now. Too much, perhaps. For instance, down there on the second floor, the woman pacing about. He calls her Miss Lonely Hearts. So lonely that even death seems like a friend. These are the newlyweds on a honeymoon no one will ever forget. He calls her Miss Hearing Aid, an artist of a very odd and strange art. The songwriter who plays the same melody over and over again. A genius or insane? This is the traveling salesman and his invalid wife. Out of their arguments and nagging comes a weird kind of love. Miss Torso, the body beautiful, that is, viewed from a safe distance. Those are just a few of my neighbors. First I watched them just to kill time, but then I couldn't take my eyes off them, just as you won't be able to. And you won't be able to take your eyes off the glowing beauty of Grace Kelly, who shares the heart and curiosity of James Stewart in this story of a romance shadowed by the terror of a horrifying secret. 
I will preface this to say we did say last time we were going to watch Vertigo as well. I think we both failed on that. Yeah, so we're just going to talk about. There's so much to talk about in Rear Window. There's so much. So, like the plot of Rear Window is incredibly simple, and it's so it's like painfully simple. That's what it's one of those like plot points yeah. where you're like, I can't believe this is the first time this was done, or like or something. It's so just like like mindless, like like ridic- just ridiculously simple. So. A professional photographer is forced to spend his summer next to his open window of his apartment, and he observes the tenants in the opposite apartment building. Uh, he accidentally witnessed something he decides murder is murder, and he embarks on this kind of persistent like quest uh, to kind of prove it. But is. He doesn't even witness it; he just hears a noise, doesn't he? Yeah, he witnesses very little. Is what I love about it, and it's the whole <laughs> like it's the whole fantastic thing about this plot, which is that um. In uncovering the truth, I, I'm, I can't wait to ask you this question. Actually, did you know the end of this film? I know, like this is a film that's been remade a thousand times, like the Simpsons episode and stuff like that. But did you know the plot of the film? I knew what the it? plot was, but I didn't like. I thought it'd be a bit more like because of obviously he's overlooking the whole of this area of Greenwich, Greenwich Village, like his yeah. backdrop. I we'll thought it'd be more like. Set. Red herrings and things like that, where it yeah. wasn't as much that it was. It was pretty much no, it's this guy, and he's just trying to find out to prove you, it's this guy. Did you know if he was guilty, or did you think? Well, I he- thought it might be. Oh, the, he could explain all these things, and she was just going. She went to hospital or something like that. Yeah. You know I mean, I I didn't know he murdered her. Like I didn't. I I always thought that could be a case that he didn't murder her. Yeah, because like I think. The power of this film is that that works. That did he or didn't he do it actually does work in this film. I think nowadays that is lost a little bit because majority of people know the plot kind of thing. Yeah. And I think majority of people kind of know going in that he sees a murder and there's a murder kind of thing. Whereas this film's very playing up the idea that maybe there isn't a murder. Like the only thing the audience sees that Jimmy doesn't see is like, uh, Raymond Burr leaving in the middle of the night with a woman um, and so it gives you that little bit of impression that maybe there wasn't a murder maybe Jimmy is just mad like maybe he is just like like absolutely paranoid and building everything up and it, like well, and I admit, that's like, what I that's thought still... would be like, interesting that he kind of like he managed to convince the his girlfriend and then yeah. also the nurse and I thought that would be the power of his psychosis kind of yes. like seeping but, out kind of thing yeah you know and it's, I, I think it, I just really think it works. And it still gets me when I watch it. I'm still like doubting if I know the ending. Like, even though I do know the ending, I'm still doubting myself a little bit when I watch it going like, well, maybe there is an explanation for this. Maybe he is, Jimmy is just utterly mad. And I think I'm, I, I'd love to have known what the reactions were like in the fifties. Cause I just think it's such a effective film. Uh, by well, it da- by well. a filmmaker I mean, it was up who, for like, it was up for several Oscars and stuff like that, wasn't it? And, you know, I think it did well at the box office. Yeah, yeah, I think it was the big highest box office of the year. I think it was the biggest film of the year. Um, so, like, uh, it, I was going to say Godzilla doesn't work alone. <laughs> Hitchcock <laughs> doesn't work alone. So, yeah, it was written by John Michael Hayes, who uh, also wrote, like, To Catch a Thief and The Trouble with Harry. And it the was Man based on a much. short novel, wasn't it? Or a novel yeah, or based on a short novel from 1942 called um, It Had to Be Murder. Uh, the thing about the ha- it had to be murder was um, the 
it's a twist at the end of the book to find out that the the photographer can't leave, can't move, has a broken leg. That's not. Oh, you like don't know that you. throughout the whole of the book. No, you don't know that at all. So that was something that like um, Hitchcock brought into it because he was obsessed with the idea of the um, of looking using the camera lens as a point of point of view thing and wanted that kind of tension and about the kind of about you know the man who's quite helpless that's what he was obsessed with the way that this is a this is what happens to a man if he's helpless is was his idea about jimmy stewart and that's where the paranoia comes in and the kind of the psychosis comes in about stuff like that and uh the weird thing about the book is that the the like the girls aren't in at all his girlfriend doesn't exist the nurse doesn't exist the only person in the book is actually like his housemaid who's like a black character and there's a really weird like racial tension in the book as well so okay. Hitchcock saw that and went, no, we're not doing that. That doesn't work. So just changed that character to the nurse and then brought in like, uh, he wanted Grace Kelly in this film to be, to oh, be okay. like, to be the, the girlfriend. Cause he'd worked with Grace Kelly on, um, uh, dial M for murder. Like, and, uh, so like the, he brought in the writer to basically do dialogue. It's weird. Hitchcock's got these weird things where he seems to talk about like films that he developed but he never has writing credits and stuff like that. So I'm not, I'm never sure how much he wrote scripts, you know, like, cause he doesn't take the credit and he, he feels, he feels like a man who would take credit if he has it to like, yeah. but maybe, maybe he's just more like, he's such like an ultimate auteur. That, like, yeah, I was going to say, he's such set, an auteur like, that I think he's just stamps on anything anyway. Like, yeah. So, you know. And, uh, the whole thing about like the film is, it's just this, like, um, well, he said there was, like, a few things. Like, it's one of the most effective, like, thrillers that just has this nail-biting suspense that just grows throughout the film. And most of the film is shot from, like, the main character's point of view. So, like, simultaneously, it's the protagonist and kind of the audience watching it as well. So it really pushes you right into that viewer- vieweristic kind of quality of cinema and really explores what, like, how voyeurism kind of works for people and and why it excites you to watch horror and why it excites you to be there and um one of the for me one of the most fantastic things about um about the film is how it relies so heavily on visuals and it's so obsessed with visuals more than anything else it's hitchcock says that people don't express your inner thoughts to one another conversations are quite trivial um but it but often like the eyes will reveal what a person thinks or needs and that's a big part of his filmmaking was well i mean you belief. know you you don't hear from any of these neighbors until the very <laughs> end and you kind of you know exactly who these people are and what they're doing and yeah. you kind of they've got a full arc yeah and, um, yeah yeah and it's also yeah. like you also believe you know what these characters are, do, are like and that's well, yeah you have you have preconceived like yeah. idea so you think like the ballerina girl is a bit of a hussy or whatever and then you find out by the end that she's you know she's actually got like a a sweetheart in the in the army or whatever that's yeah yeah home. yeah He's, yeah and she's know, like that kind of that flips your perception of her then a little bit and i felt that that kind of stuff i felt was so prescient to like um i don't know mo- modern i want to say like modern world it's weird to say but like it's it's like fucking instagram because like Jimmy Stewart obsessed with just staring at these people's lives from afar with his camera. And he because he's doing that, he just assumes he knows everything about them. He's like he's yeah. looking at these pictures of these people because he's a photographer. He's looking at these pictures of these people without any context because he can't hear them properly and deciding he knows everything about them. 
He knows every inch of their lives because he can see, because he can see right in with his camera. And I, I think that's such a, a like kind of parasocial thing, the thing we do nowadays with like celebrities and Instagram and Twitter and stuff like that. By by just staring into people's lives from afar, we make so many assumptions about people. And we the only difference them to kind I'd of say with, with that is though, when someone's in their own bedroom or their own living room doing their own thing, just going about their day to day. It's different to like with Instagram though, that where people sure. are just, they're showing their best selves. There, or, yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's a, there's a, there is a slight difference there, but but I see what yeah, you're but like in their in their with when they're not being watched, they're not trying to they're not really putting on airs. Yeah, but still, you're missing like context of them and nuance to them and what they actually think. But you're just deciding that, mm-hmm. like, and I and I think it's such a good, I don't know, I just think it's a fascinating way to show this character, a character who's isn't very nice like jimmy stewart's character in this is a dick <laughs> like, oh yeah he's... like you know to his nurse like yeah. why is he telling her make me a sandwich <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. and it like um is it's not just that he's not very nice he's a big misogynist like he's yep. a huge misogynist he's like but because it's jimmy jimmy stewart he's you kind of trust him a little bit like he feels like he feels secure wow, why don't Hanks, you make me like... a sandwich <laughs> <laughs> But, like, the way he talks about marriage and the women, like, the way he talks about Miss Torso, the very fact he calls her Miss Torso, the ballerina. Yeah. Like, it's it's not about who these women are. Um, who, all of them are blonde in the courtyard, by the way. Every woman in the courtyard is blonde. Cause Even the blonde. artist lady. Yes. Yeah, she's, like, older blonde. The only person who kind of isn't blonde is, Miss like, Miss Lonely Hearts. Miss Lonely Hearts, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. But she's because he got dyed hair. Like and it's meant <laughs> you're meant to see that she's got. I've watched this film too many times, and like, uh, but like, um, in you get that kind of. Uh, it's not about who Grace Kelly is in this film. It's absolute to do with how this character views women. Mm. So his like his like conversations start when he's on the phone talking about marriage and saying he doesn't want to just marry this girl because she'll just become a nag within like you know, a year of marrying her is based on the fact that he can see into these apartments opposite him and the Thor holds of of nagging each other all the time and arguing to each other all the time. And to the very fact that when like the younger couple move in just to his, you know, into the courtyard as well, it's the purposely we stopped watching them because Jimmy stopped watching them because he doesn't want to see young, happy couples because he doesn't want to be <laughs> a happy person in a couple. He needs to stare at the others out there and makes his judgment there. So this young couple that move in, we barely see them because he doesn't want to stare at them. Well, that's what I was wondering where, like, because you see them at the beginning, like, and then after you hear the scream and that, every time you saw that window, it was always closed. So I didn't know if that was going to be like, like the uh, other yeah. guy was the red herring and then they were going to play into it. But that that it, that never really came across, like, that never came to anything. Never plays up, yeah. And it's just so interesting that it's, I mean, it's all, like, the whole film's about the male gaze, obviously. Oh, yeah. Um, and all the, like, and that's why, like, you know, all these blonde women outside, he sees them as different, like, aspects of his current girlfriend, you know, which one of these is she going to be, kind of thing. Like, which one of these is she? And he's always wrong. You know, when he watches the party with Miss Torso, he's saying that, like, you know, look at her, like, she's just, like, a, I can't remember the phrase he uses, but she's there like kind of uh, Queen Bee or something and they're all like droning around her trying to date and she can take, you know, take her pick from them. And and Grace Kelly's like, actually, she's doing like the most admirable thing I ever see a woman do, juggling like a pack of wolves or something. Mm. 
and like his view of of like women and view of like the world is so jaded and so like like bent with his own misogyny that he he's actually wrong all the time when he looks outside and that's what that's what adds i think to the kind of plot of this film is that you know he's wrong about all these little characters that he keeps getting wrong assumptions about them is he wrong about the murder that he's so obsessed with as well and it feeds in that doubt i think as an audience member um about like what did he see and is he actually right and you start kind of not believing him even though he's so obsessed with it <laughs> i'm talking so much Ollie. <laughs> I just just from a visual perspective i love the fact like the whole of greenwich village is a set it's like you know, oh, it's it's, on, the, on the paramount lot they dug just, down they dug down like three yeah. stories well that's what they used it, to do like, though like how do we make this the sound studio bigger well let's just dig down (laughs) like dig down yeah like it's insane but like um you know you have like the the opening shot i think is like a sweeping shot of the whole of the of the courtyard area and so you get to meet all the different characters that he's watching so you know you've got the guy playing the piano you've Mm -hmm. you've got um you've got miss lonely hearts you've got the couple where she's ill in the bed and then the husband and then the, yeah, the thought hole. I love the fact there's the two, the husband and wife that kind of sleep outside on their, yeah, um, cause it's so hot. Yeah. With balcony. The like, but it's very chaste because they're like top. They're like, yeah, you know, like how, tails. how you, a friend would sleep over at a house. Like yeah. And tails. But then it will yeah. then cut to then the girl, the ballerina girl. And it does the Barbara Windsor. So it goes from that kind of chase kind of <laughs> thing to the bit, bit of raunch. <laughs> But you have the weird like a kind of um, best gal pals couple at the top who are like I think like the suggestion of their topless sunbathing or something and the helicopter comes over and things like um, uh, it's yeah it's I for my money I think it's one of the best openings of all time yeah Um, like I love though the fact that when it and then you know uh, you've got you've got the the artist lady who works at the bottom yeah yeah you've got the new couple. But then in that same shot, without I don't even think it pulls focus. It then it, it cuts no. to his like sweaty head, like a close it just pulls his... in. It just moves in. It's a yeah, and you're move, like, like, like <laughs> that's pretty like, impressive. Yeah. Uh, I love and... I love old film stock like this because film the 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 skin kind of looks very almost goldeny orange, but yeah. the eyes that like especially with who he casts, like they've yes. got the most piercing blue eyes you've ever seen. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Like, wow. This film was almost lost, actually, talking of that. This is a restored film that we're watching because um, there's weird enough, he, he owned the rights to five films and he never kind of left, he never like gave any right to reproduce it. So I think it was Man Who Knew Too Much, Vertigo, Rope, Shaw with Harry and, and uh, Rear Window. For some reason he owned them and they were known as like the five lost Hitchcocks. Okay. And it was it was only after like 30 years it wasn't available and then it got re-released in cinemas in 1984 that's when it kind of got redone uh the film negative was completely fucked it was really damaged by just natural dye failing in like the 60s um and they did a massive job to restore it in the 80s basically well they did a good job they did a great job yeah I, i just think it's amazing that this almost was gone you know this almost wasn't a thing uh, I love but, the fact there's a special effect at the end as well. Like you know, he does the hands groove fall, <laughs> yes, and it's does. like him like on a blue screen, and he like falls to the floor. I, thought, <laughs> I they, love that. He dropping the other people. It's one of the few moments of the film the point of view isn't from Jimmy Stewart. Yeah, as well. yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Um, it's yeah the to so this set there was a 
they had a thousand arc lights in the set to simulate sunlight. And the lights were so hot that it would set off a sprinkler system all the time. Like, um, the studios they built had running water and electricity. So, like, yeah, like George... there's a rain sequence, isn't there? So, yeah. Like... So, Georgine Darcy, who played Miss Torso, she practically lived in that apartment during this shoot because she could. There was beds there, there was electricity, <laughs> there was water. She basically just lived in it. Um, it, it's insane. This, this I'm, set is insane. Like, I'm surprised they've never done like a stage show of it somehow. Like where, like yeah, yeah. the front, the, the front of the stage is, is his apartment. Right. And then right. the background is just the whole, I don't, I, I don't know if you, you probably need a bigger backstage than, than you actually have, but it could be something that you could do. Maybe. I don't know. But. It could be something. Yeah. Cause this was 98 feet wide. 108 feet, five feet long yeah, and 40 massive. feet high. <laughs> it can, like, the whole set consists of 31 apartments, which is just. That's like, insane. And they built it in insane. six weeks as well. Yeah. <laughs> six weeks. It's crazy. And apparently, I don't know Greenwich Village in New York very well. Apparently, it looks a lot like the area that it's meant to um, be. Can I, can I admit something? You went there? I've been there. <laughs> <laughs> it's where uh, Friends is set, isn't it? Is it? I know it's where yeah. Rent is set. Is that, is that yeah. more my flavor? <laughs> um, and yeah, you're talking about the intro, and I completely got confused. I was going to say, like, my the, it's for me, it's one of the best intros of all time. You know, like a lot of people. Well, it's up there like, with like, um, uh, what was the other film we watched? Touch of Evil? No, is it Touch of Evil? Oh, Touch of Evil. That is a fucking you know, intro. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like. Saving Private Ryan is another thing people always know yeah. about as intros. But like for me, it's just like this is such great economic visual storytelling. Well, it's great like, storytelling. Yeah, it's just you you get you get the geography of the whole place. Yep, you and get you get so every much information about the character. Yeah, apart and you from get the him. nurse and his girlfriend. But and the only what what you need to know is why he's there and what's been going on. So like without dialogue, he doesn't say like, "Oh, I've been stuck here because I got into a." Because I was trying to well, take You see his broken photograph. camera, don't you? Yeah. And so you, you know he's a photographer. Camera. You see the photo that he took of the race car. You see the fire of the race car afterwards. You see like like a crash. So you get the idea that he was trying to take these ridiculous racing photos and he got into an injury. Like you then see like the negatives and the photographs of his girlfriend, Grace Kelly. And then you see her on the front cover of fashion magazines. Like you just get such... Oh yeah, I forgot you see her on the magazine. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. And without any like dialogue, without any script, without any of that sort of stuff, you totally know exactly why he's there. And that echoes like the rest of the film. Because the rest of the film is you're you are doing what Jimmy Stewart's doing and you're putting together visual clues with no dialogue to work out what happened. So you've already done it yourself. You've already at the start of this film you've worked out how he got a broken leg and why he's stuck in this apartment because you've used well, again, the visual it's clues like that it was talking. You. I was saying the other week, like, you know, for me, the best films are films that, even without dialogue, you can follow exactly what's going on. Mm -hmm. And this one, again, you could... The only thing you'd miss is you don't hear, you wouldn't hear the sound effects of the uh, of the scream. Yeah. <laughs> so you'd kind of lose that aspect of it. But um, Well, I'd say I, the sound in the film... This is probably one of the key things of the film. But. The sound in this film, I think, is the most important thing. Uh, after saying all this about visual storytelling, I think the sound in this film is Well, because it's all diegetic, isn't it? It's like yeah. it's all, it's all the, the soundtrack of his environment. 
I think yeah. there's a bit of music at the beginning and the end yes. from a composer, but other than that, it's like the guy who's playing the piano or the yep. radio that people are listening to. And I love those radios because they're like the old ones where you can see all the elements in the back. Yeah, the back like you got all the big transistors and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, I, I love, love that, that too. Yeah, and like as the camera moves round, the soundscape moves with the camera. It, like, it's properly diegetic, so you hear like the mumbles of the people you're looking at at that time, and just. Their, their like dialogue just hidden in the background of all that noise. You hear the noise of the street, you hear the noise of the bar, you hear sirens, you hear like, you know, fog horns, you hear like the sounds of the street. This is, I can't imagine how much layering was required for oh, this yeah. film for the sound. It's, it's incredible. And like more like the, the big thing about this film, and actually I've got a Hitchcock quote somewhere about this, but like he, he said he was disappointed in the sound. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, so here it goes. Like, cause, I would say uh, to tie in with one of the films we did, uh, Francois uh, Truffaut, he was obsessed with Hitchcock. And in 1962, he did a huge interview with Hitchcock. Uh, it's a film you can watch. It's called like uh, Truffaut and Hitchcock. And it's a huge like back and forth of them to in like him, like Truffaut interviewing Hitchcock as, you know, as a filmmaker, but also like, cause he was a critic. Like, so he, like he was obsessed with him. So this, honestly, this like interview is wonderful. So basically he asks him about like, uh, uh franz uh franz waxman who did the music for this and and hitchcock goes like one of the things i was unhappy about in rear window was the music do you know franz waxman and franz waterfair goes didn't he do the music score for several hum- humphrey bogart movies and hitchcock goes yes and he also did the score for rebecca you remember that one of the characters in the yard was a musician well i wanted to show how a popular song is composed by gradually developing it throughout the film to the final scene is then played as a recording with a full orchestral um, accompaniment. Well, it didn't work out that way that I wanted it to, and I was quite disappointed in it. And that's his <laughs> only like negative he says about this film. But that um, composing of that song, I think, is wonderful in this film. Absolutely, absolutely wonderful. Like, yeah. and the the way it works with like uh, Grace Kelly's character and Jimmy Stewart's character, and the way they get to know each other is is like is um just I, I don't know it's it's remarkable in the fact that the first time you ever see grace kelly the big thing is that like there's no noise you know that kind of point of view shot of her and she looks like a bloody angel like the way she's just shot straight down the lens with the light behind her and the black mm. when jimmy's shooting at that point there's no sound at all all the sound all the background noise just drops out and it's really quiet and then slowly as they start talking you start hearing noise coming through and there's no romantic beats of music. There's no kind of like proper music. You're just hearing scales. Like it's someone in the courtyard doing their scales, you know, singing up and down the scales. It's not proper music. And then later on, as like this song develops throughout the film, as the player at the piano starts making this song, when Grace Kelly breaks into the apartment um, and it's the big tension scene in this when uh, the guy Raymond Burr gets back and comes in as well, that's the time in this film when the actual song is full and it's a full romantic piano piece and it's not like tension music it's not Mm. like uh it's not um like suspense music it's actually romance music because actually what's happening at this point is that jimmy stewart's character is falling in love and realizes he has fallen in love with this grace kelly character so and hard not to to be honest but very hard not to but i think it's wonderful as one of the most suspenseful scenes is actually Hitchcock's playing as a romance scene and the reason it's working is actually it's the moment of the film where Jimmy decides oh I've actually have fallen in love with her I just think that's so 
But it's like, also really clever to have that kind of juxtaposition kind of stuff as well yeah. going on as well. Like there's a bit later on where um the sound is coming through and it's and uh it's when he's watching is when he's watching the Raymond Burr and his wife argue in the apartment. And if you notice the sound during that point, there's no music coming through the piano. Uh, it's actually just like sirens and alarms and foghorns. It's all the horrible noises of a streetscape. It's all the horrible mm. noises of a city. So when he's focusing on at this marriage that he's seeing as like, he, you know, he hates marriage at this point. That's why he's, he's just seeing this on. couple arguing. Yeah. And you and it's all populated with these horrible like noises and noises you wouldn't want in your life. I just think the the sound in the film is really smart, and there's no way it wasn't thought about for every second of it. Like, I need to mention Thelma Ritter as well, who was great as his, um, who's like the insurance company nurse, is it or something? Like yeah, that? Thelma yeah. Reeves, I think, isn't it? Yeah, like uh, she's but it's Thelma uh, Ritter, isn't it? Is it Ritter? Okay, I got that wrong. Um, but yeah, she's uh, she was in All About Eve. Who we did mm-hmm. in this podcast as well. She played um, Birdie in All About Eve, and basically she's kind of playing Birdie in this. <laughs> like, really, there's not much difference to the characters. Uh, but she is a um, remarkable actress. She was nominated for six Oscars in the 50s. Wow. In the 50s, she was nominated for six Oscars. Like, so, like, her in this in this is such, like, a, sta- like a stable hand, like, to the film. And I love her. I love how, like, she she would have been on Reddit nowadays with any kind of case. Any kind of true murder case, she'd be there with her theories. What she gets that, into this so much. Like, what was that documentary I watched a few weeks ago? You know, the <laughs> yes, one about the right. um, the hotel. The hotel, yeah, yeah. Oh, God. She would have been one of those there. YouTube web sleuthers that'd be uh, that had been interviewed. She, I like, and she's kind of like, yeah, she's she gets easily gets into the plot. She loves it. She wants to go dig up the rose garden. She wants to go leap over the stuff. Like she's instantly like game for anything that's going on, which makes me love her. And uh, also like this film's about like this man who's, you know, a misogynistic grumpy man who actually the tension of this film, at least maybe from a 1950s point of view, is that women are in control of him. Yeah. So like <laughs> so the uh you one only have the nurse who like literally manhandles him and beats it like really to massage him and uh and you also have his girlfriend and the tension with his girlfriend is stuff like she brings over dinner she pays for dinner and she tips for the dinner like it's nothing to do with him he doesn't have that power in that it's his girlfriend that has all this kind of agency and that's terrifying can you imagine like we should talk about grace kelly she's really really weird she's comes from a really weird background her father was like a self-made millionaire or something like that. Can't remember what in, but uh, he basically pitted his two daughters against each other, and Grace Kelly was like the runt, which if you'd believe it, like <laughs> so he her sister I can't remember her name. Um, I think it was Peggy. I think it was Peggy because it makes me think of like uh, Hamilton. It was always like no matter what Grace Kelly did, her father was always like, well, Peggy would have done that better, <laughs> like which is just insane. So with this kind of like. I don't know, attitude that she had. She was very, like, self-assured. She was very, like, um, didn't need anyone. So when she went to Hollywood, like, she, she she went to Hollywood. She was only in... Her first film was 1951, and she left Hollywood in 1956. Like, she was there for five years. Um, She didn't need Hollywood. So after her first film, I think... Well, it's after High Noon. She has, like, a cameo in... Well, not really a cameo, but a really small role in High Noon. Um. And uh, she's offered a contract by one of the studios, might be MGM, 
And she turns it down, basically going like, I don't need you. I don't need a contract from you. I like, I'll just go to like, um, I'll just go to like auditions. And uh, she auditions for tons of films and doesn't get them. And somehow her audition falls on like uh, John Ford's desk and, um, and Alfred Hitchcock's desk. This film today, by the way, is just like all the people who covered in the 50s pop up. <laughs> like rear window mm. story. Uh, John Ford and both Alfred Hitchcock are like, how did you ever not hire this person? She's the most beautiful and perfect actress in the world. So both of them like trip over each other to hire her. So, like, so she's hired for John Ford for Magombo and Dial M for Murder for Alfred Hitchcock. And at that point, like, and she's like this fully formed Grace Kelly. She does five films in 1954. Then she does like uh, To Catch a Thief after like Rear Window with Alfred Hitchcock. And then she does two films in 1956 and she's out. She's out of Hollywood. She never, she famously never owned a house in Hollywood because she didn't need it. She just rented, you know, like, so she could leave at any point she wanted to. Like, she was just well above kind of Hollywood. She didn't. I think a lot of Hollywood people do that. They like stay in, they just live in hotels, don't they? Or like, yeah, I don't think it was normal in the 40s or the 50s, I should say. Like, because there wasn't so like interconnected world so much. Because you remember but, like cribs or whatever, and you're like, you're clearly just living in a part, like a yes. you know, hotel or whatever. And it's like, this is not your house. <laughs> this is not your house. No one lives here. Like, but for that, I think she had such a power to it, and like, she's known for like high society, and I think it's the country girl as well with Bing Crosby. Let's see if I think, and she's really known for doing those films. She eventually meets the Prince of Monaco and retires from Hollywood to become a princess. It's insane, really. Like. Um, she was really not one to trifle with. She knew what she wanted. She knew what made her look good. She always refused to smoke in films. This is famously the only film she ever smoked in. I'd, like, um, which is might sound really normal nowadays. The fifties, you know, that was unusual. Um, and uh, her energy in this film is what makes it work a thousand percent. Like this with mm. another actress, it wouldn't work. She has so much like compulsion to it and so much kind of energy to it and so yeah she adds a bit of liveliness so. to the film otherwise it would just be a bit not dour but it definitely yeah it would lose that spunk definitely yeah um and just like she's fun i'm saying all she's... words today that i never say normally <laughs> and i think i said it before i think it ruined her i think it ruined hitchcock a little bit i think you know after like grace kelly she, he constantly tried to just find grace kelly again because um, he worked to... with her again, didn't they? They were in... Um... Yeah, so they dial in for murder, rear really? window, and then to catch a thief, thief was 1955, yeah, yeah. and then like, she quits Hollywood, basically. So she, I think he tried to bring her back for later films that he did a number of times, but just never worked. And like, I think with her in this, she's, I love her character in this. She's so like... She's like the emotional support for like the film you do almost could accuse her of being like a manic pixie girl almost like almost she, yeah she almost exists like not in reality like she turns up in his house at like a i can't remember how expensive they say the dress is but it's something like is it 1100 or something like that like dollar dress or something just to kind of entertain him like well that just one she be, wears like, near the end jesus I know the, the the outfits in this. It just shows about her. like any time that she hears assumption about it, she shuts him down. Like you know when he talks about her, listen to what you you must be like at home, and he's like, "What can your camera really reach into my home? You can't see over the 
You the know, one when he's like, he's, and... he's particularly quite nasty to her. I think it might be the first time she actually um, comes into his apartment and she's like, she's about to leave. And she goes, well, don't expect to see me again for a, for a very long time. Yes. Probably tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> you think, oh, come on. And like, um, there's a bit, it's because it's, it's the bit when he, he's kind of spiky because she's brought in this posh dinner with lobster and she's tipped the waiter and he's, she's organized it all. And that annoys him that like, because he should be doing that stuff. He's the kind of man, mm. you know, and he's so obsessed with the fact that he's an adventure photographer and, and he can't possibly be with this fashion model. She wouldn't be able to travel the world with him and go to Pakistan and, and go to these places. She'd be out of her element. She'd be useless. You know, that's the whole kind of argument you have. And then throughout this film, she proves that she's absolutely up for this. She'll jump into a murderer's apartment and, yeah. you know, rifle for his cottage and, and dig up a, like, dig up a rose garden. And she'll do it in her, like, in high heels. She'll jump across the balcony to the window and stuff like that. She, she proves so much that she has such, you know, she's, five times the person that Jimmy Stewart's character is like. And he and at the start of this film, he thinks that she's just a fashion model that won't be able to take his world. You know, and there's a bit when he she pays for dinner and he's like he gets angry and yells at her about over dinner saying that you'll never be able to eat fish heads in a jungle. I think that's the phrase. Like and he actually shows that the misogyny kind of or like that kind of insult registers with Grace Kelly a little bit. Like I keep calling her Grace Kelly. I can't remember even remember her name in this. But like uh and um you realise that, like that kind of insult, She's Carol lands Fremont. Is it Carol? Carol like... Fremont. Sorry, yeah, it was Lisa or something. And right? his name is—he's got a, a stereotypical eighties yeah. name where it's like L L B, and it's like and his, <laughs> his surname's Jeffrey, so they just call him Jeff. But he's you know, like, it's uh, like, and yeah, like that kind of misogyny lands with this character in a way don't, that I don't think you often see in 50s films that actually this stuff bothers. Don't you find it weird how like how chummy he is with like the the detective? Well, I think it's just meant to be his best friend, isn't he? Is that what it is? Is it meant to be so. his best friend? Oh, at least you know he's a he's you know he's a journalist. He he has he, that's his contact in like the police force that they talk to each other a lot. They seem they're meant. To, I think they are meant to be friends. I think they do right. say that at some point. So, like getting into like the actual plot of the film. So, um. So you've got the couple who are, uh, they're called the, they don't actually have a name or anything, do they? They don't have, their characters don't have names or anything. They they kind no. of just live above um, the Th- Thorwalds. Thorwalds, yeah. Yeah, and they've got a dog that they kind of, for some reason they're so fucking lazy they can't go out and walk their own dog. I so love that basket. Of... I want a basket. <laughs> so a they just put it in a basket and lower it and it just <laughs> runs around this tiny courtyard for a bit. Um and then you know, at the end of the day, they they put the basket back down to, to yeah. Um, but the dog ends up getting killed at some point. Mm-hmm. So I I must have because there was also a bird, wasn't there, that they put out onto a ledge. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. She there's there's yeah there's a neighbor that has a bird that she hangs. Was out, the yeah. bird and the dog connected? In I couldn't. Did they no. mention the bird? Am I totally mis? I thought the the bird was making a noise, and then the dog. I don't know. So why did he kill the dog? Um, he kills the dog because after he kills his wife, spoilers, um, he <laughs> chops her into tons of bits. Yeah, because he, he starts going is, out at like three in the morning and like yeah, kind of, with I'm his guessing. trunk with bits of like it's meant to be her head and her to- like the big trunk is meant to have like her torso in it. There's a bit at the end of the film when they say like he's buried bits of a Danny's river for a film like that. that's really it's got a very graphic not graphic it's not graphic in the, in the slight there's not even a hint no of no, no like. No. 
it's an but absolute it's, gateway like a horror film like but it's thriller. like it's it's kind of almost i wouldn't say it's jovial in the way that it's kind of portrayed no, it is yeah it is the, yeah yeah the but music it's horrific. Is, what like, he does is is horrible yeah it's completely horrible yeah it's it's like and i i think what's f- like I should answer your first question, but I think what's fascinating about Thorgal is like the fact that he isn't a mastermind. And then at the end of the film, when he breaks into the apartment, he's just a dumb guy who out of passion killed someone. He's like, like Frankenstein's monster looks yeah, yeah, yeah. towards him and he's like, <laughs> gets his flashlight. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, and that look, every, I kind of takes his glasses off and rubs his eyes like, oh dear. Yeah, and then <laughs> like, lumbers a bit further. Yeah, yeah. It's like, dude, you know what his plan is? Just close your <laughs> <laughs> Just run at him. Like... And uh, like famously, that last bit when um, I think I've got a Francois Truffaut quote somewhere, but I'll, I won't look for it. But I think famously at that last bit where he's in the apartment and he breaks in and he goes like, you know, why are you doing this to me, to Jimmy Stewart? And Jimmy Stewart doesn't have an answer because Jimmy Stewart's <laughs> wrong. Jimmy Stewart shouldn't be doing this to him. He hasn't got a reasonable explanation. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, it's just I'm fucking mad. Like, like that's why. <laughs> And I really like that kind of, like, like Jimmy Stewart's character isn't really right in this. Like, he's not really a hero, but he kind of is. Like, it's like he's, yeah. he is like, he is like a bad guy. He is like, he's doing a bad thing by spying on all his neighbours. They struggle with the kind of ethics of this in the film. Even the dialogue, they struggle with the ethics of it. Even Jimmy, like, after he thinks that he got it all wrong, he even questions himself about is, you know, is staring into people's lives ethical? It questions you about, like, you know, the nature of photography, the nature of paparazzi and, and the nature of that kind of stuff, of, of shoving a camera into stuff and deciding you're going to see people's personal lives and judge them. And that is in this, like, baked into the kind of the dialogue in this film and the script. And that's why at the end, when he's actually, like, confronted by by Mr. Thorpe, well, he doesn't have an answer. He doesn't, he, he just, he's doing it because... He's paranoid. He's doing it because he's He's doing it because he's fascinating and avoid My nan like, always used to do it. She had like a little slit by her window so people couldn't see her. <laughs> but she could look out of her window and watch everyone and she'd be like, oh, there's Mrs. Reynolds who, you know, she she knew exactly what time she walked up and down the road. And it's like, people think, do it. People do people watching kind of yeah. like come up I with mean, their like... I was saying uh, that this is so perfect end of lockdown viewing for me. Like, you know, We've been quarantined in for a year, technically like lockdown anyway for a year, and I've been sitting at this bloody window staring. At, I have not got an interesting view compared to Jimmy Stewart. I've got a wall. <laughs> I was going to say, yes. but like, <laughs> but like that kind of like staring into crooks and little windows that I can just about see and like and stuff like that. Absolutely, is is what starts happening to you if you're just stuck next to a window constantly in a house. Like, well, like. I, my windows are always closed because I'm always animating, so I have to have the light controlled. Oh sure. <laughs> so anytime I open my window just to get a little bit of light, there's always the there's a a woman who moved in across the road about what a year and a half, two years ago, and I've never yeah. spoken to her or anything like that. But every time I happen to open my window, she happens just to be coming out of the house and looks <laughs> up at me, and it always looks like I'm looking at her, but I'm not. It's just that it happens to be the only. It's like you no, know, when you look, pick up your phone, it says eleven eleven or whatever. <laughs> anytime i open my window she's there and i'm like fuck and then i quickly close it because then it looks like i'm peeping on it and then it makes it even worse because then i close the curtain up. Ah. i always think like as a kid i kind of remember wandering around my street and i was fascinated about what was going on in people's houses yeah, what but you lived houses... on a cul-de-sac as well which is more interesting yeah. 
But like, what was going on in people's houses? What did the houses look like? Who were these people? Like, you know, peeking over like like fences, jumping over fences and stuff like that. Like, I think there is like a like innate fascination people have about what's going on mm. behind closed doors, and and this does. I think this works so well at like just like like breaking down that kind of fascination that we have about staring into people's like lives, basically. Which, Do you know what I like? like? I like the background as well. You can see a cafe little just in the background, yeah. and you could just see them just sitting in there, just at the very background. I like that. I like it was a nice the very corner touch. of it. It's this. I just think this set is insane. Mm. <laughs> I wonder if but they yeah. kept it and used it for anything else. Like, you, oh God, you, you'd hope they would have, but I bet they just tore it down and never thought about it again because that's just what Hollywood. Because obviously, like. you have a back lot, so like you know the tower yeah. in. Um, Back to the Future, that's in like loads of other films, like just completely repurposed yes. and stuff yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and like the street in the Burbs is like on the, is on the Universal backlot. So that house that the Clopex live in is like, oh, yeah. There's been like loads of other houses in other films and horror films and stuff like that. <laughs> so I was just wondering, like, you know, they spent all this time and money on this like amazing set and they never use it again. You, it's insane that they never used it again, but uh, who knows? Like, did you ever see the remake? Yes, I was going to ask you about remakes. yeah with seen, the Christopher. Reeves. I've seen I've seen both of them. Like so, I yeah. What's the other one? The Disturbia with Shia. Oh, uh, is that is that is that actually? Te- I've seen that, but is that actually meant to be a remake of this, or is yeah, it just? It is a remake. Yeah, I have seen it. Yeah, yeah. And I've also seen Bart of Darkness, that's season six, episode one, <laughs> of The Simpsons. <laughs> with, that actually has Jimmy Stewart in it, like in his wheelchair. <laughs> the creepy boy is looking at me again. I can't do a Jimmy Stewart <laughs> impression. Uh, but yeah, the the Rear Window remake in '98 with like that's that's a, a fascinating, weird little thing in its own self because that was the first film starring Christopher Reeve after his horse accident after he got paralyzed. Was it a TV movie? Yeah, it was a TV movie. Yeah, yeah. I remember that being on TV. At the time. I remember it being like a thing, like a, a big thing. Yeah, and it's it's all about like him, how he lives as like a paralyzed man, weirdly. Like, it's all about this house that kind of is all automated and designed for him because he can't mm. move. Um, it's a bit, it's a bit weird. Like, it's a bit, I don't know. Um, it's a bit voyeuristic into yeah. Christopher Reeve's life. Like, basically, like, it's weird that, like, that I wonder who pitched it. Film. Did he pitch that saying, or did someone go, you know, Chris, you know, you can't move anymore. <laughs> like, uh. Yeah, we have remake. You... Uh... <laughs> yeah, have you seen this Jimmy Stewart vehicle? <laughs> it's weird. It, I I can't. Re- I don't remember it working very well. And Disturbia is the same thing. Like the goal. I always think this any time they remake a Hitchcock. The goal to remake Hitchcock is is fascinating to me. Obviously, he's got like I don't know, fucking seventy films. So there's films in there that people have barely ever seen and heard of and stuff. But I still think it's weird that you try and remake like Rear Window out of, out of like all his films it's like remaking psycho and remaking like those big films it just seems insane to me mm. but um i i was gonna i did to answer your question he basically buries her fingers in the backyard oh it's the fingers does the yeah. dog eat them or something cool well the dog gets interested into it so he goes out late at night and digs them back up again that's what he says i thought they said something about the bird or something i don't know why i feel like i don't bird... remember anything like that I thought they said something about the bird, but um, yeah, because so he kills the dog, and then like I found it a bit weird though when that when she starts talking to the whole courtyard. Yeah, sure. And I just that felt a bit weird, like she kind of berates everyone. It's like 
I don't know. I found that just a bit weird why she suddenly starts having a go at everyone. It's a bit odd. It's a, it, it gets into that kind of I mean, obviously that... you would be pissed off that your dog's just you found it dead on a courtyard. But she like has a complete go at everyone. And I like, like the fact that the, the piano guy's having a party. Yeah. And then as soon as like they like just get bored of her <laughs> and go goes, back in again. Yeah. That bit of when the dog dies is the only bit of the film up until the end where it's not from Jimmy Stewart's point of view. Mm. Yeah, like exactly. It, cut, yeah. it cuts from a different point of view and it's a bit it's a bit weird in that way. And I don't It's still quite... shot though from his his apartment though. It doesn't have like any reverse shots. I no, there is no there's no reverse shots, but there is a shot from in the courtyard up at the What's lady. There? Yeah. It's it's the camera actually goes out of the room his, his... out of Jimmy like and I like I don't know, it seems to be like about there's a famous case about is it Kitty Janice, who it's a kind of myth actually it's not re- it's actually kind of bullshit but she gets murdered in plain sight in a in a kind of a courtyard like this and no one calls the police it's very mm. it's more complicated than that shit it happens 10 years after this film but like uh i think that herberation is sick into this idea that we are not like that neighborhoods is breaking down or something in America. Like society's breaking down a little bit. We're not looking out for each other. That something horrible can happen of sort of like a dog being killed in a place where 32 apartments were overlooking and not a single person saw it happen or told anyone about it. Maybe they did see it happen, but they couldn't be bothered to even tell her. Like The nurse has a big conversation about that, doesn't she? Like, Yeah. Of, is, it the, is it the nurse? She's having a conversation with Jimmy Stewart about kind of like, how yeah, society's kind of more interesting, like cooped up inside. Like, do you know what I mean? Kind of, it's still things yes. that are prevalent today, aren't they? And kind of like, yeah, about people viewing other people like from the outside, looking in or whatever, and as opposed to just being outside and just enjoying yourself. And yeah, yeah, everyone's kind of suspecting each other. Yeah, you know, everyone's kind of untrusting of each other. There's that sense of just general paranoia going on a general kind of suspicion of each other of the other or whatever and like uh the big thing about that scene obviously is that like it had to be like a big loud scene that would get everyone to come out of their apartments because the only person that doesn't come out of their apartment is the killer yeah he, i he, love he just, though how it's just completely dark and you can just cigarette. see his cigar just lighting up and yeah. down i thought it was so cool i think it's really cool as well like um a few other things I'd really like about this. That couple, the one to stick top to tail. The way Hitchcock directed this is he had like hidden, um, uh, like hidden microphones and hidden earpieces for all the actors that played all the characters in the courtyard. Oh, so he could say to, to what to do and, and he stuff. Would tell them what to do. Yeah, he would give them instructions when the camera's going over to them, like and uh, stuff like. So with the couple that slept on the on the uh, outside, he was telling both of them to steal the covers without the other one knowing that the other one's getting told <laughs> this. So, like, them fighting for the covers under the kind of blanket is Hitchcock getting them to fight for the covers, basically, and things. Um, there's a thing with Miss Torso. There's... A th- I was looking I at her Wikipedia, and it says, also known as Miss Torso, so I think she's pretty much only famous for being... For this. I think she was a dancer or something. So right, I think okay. She, but she... um, There's a weird... There's a... I don't know if this is true or not, but it was one of those IMDb facts or so whatever. But apparently Hitchcock asked her what her t- favourite type of pie was. And she said she likes every type of pie apart from pumpkin. So he bought pumpkin. So like he made her eat pumpkin pie every 
every time that she went to the fridge and stuff like that. I love pumpkin it. pie. Yes, me too. Miss Torso. But even talking <laughs> about Miss Torso, it's like that kind of male gaze, the very fact that he calls her Miss Torso, just like, just, just such like an objectifying oh, yeah. t- like term for her. But also in the same film where an actual woman reduced to a torso in a in a oh, kind yeah of in a box yeah, yeah in a box yeah that's so like pointed that like like why he, is she like, not called Miss Torso? It's so pointed that Jimmy Stewart's character reduces a woman to a torso and the killer reduces a woman to a torso. Like, it's funny like, though how we like in real life you come up with names for people like so like <laughs> right to, go to the video I game. I hope you don't shop. call people Miss Torso. No, we called the one guy two <laughs> weeks because he always said, "When's that game coming out?" Oh, it's out in two weeks. Oh, okay, so you're two <laughs> weeks now. And then the one guy had big lips, so we called him Lippy. <laughs> the Russian guy Sven or whatever his name was. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> and then the one guy, this is the most original name. He he run the Warhammer shop. Or whatever in, oh yeah, in like the yeah, market. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, we yeah. just called him Warhammer. <laughs> <laughs> Warhammer was good. Yeah, he he had like he sold like retro video games and stuff. Yeah, like that. yeah, yeah. Before yeah. it was cool. Before it was cool. And didn't he sell bootleg DVDs as well? No, that was a different guy. That was the guy I got. Um, I got Spider Man before it came out, like <laughs> even in America, and you can actually see before they cropped out. So you know when it's like unmatted or whatever, you can yeah. see like all the booms in shot before they like they put the matted, you know, they, they cropped <laughs> in stuff. Like <laughs> I want to mention one thing. That's not true. I want to mention thousands of things, but I'm going to mention a, a filmy thing, Ollie, and you got it. A filmy gotta, thing. A filmy thing. Because well, we have been a, talking about filmy things. So we're a filmy podcast. You might know. <laughs> Uh, we're two idiots talking about films. We are a film podcast. <laughs> we um, the two idiots podcast, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to... Uh, there's a thing in film called the Kulshev effect. Kulshev. Kulshev effect. The Kulshev effect. Yes, Kulshev effect. K-U-L-E-S-H-O-V. And the Kulshev effect is like the way... So if you have montage editing, so a series of kind of like... Uh, like close-up single shot shots put together to tell a story. Mm-hmm. The Kulshev effect is when it's a phenomenon that the viewers, like the audience, they drive more meaning from two sequential shots than from just a single shot in isolation. So it's the basis of editing. Okay, like, yeah, yeah. The implication is that viewers bring their own like emotional reaction to the sequence of images. Like you bring yourself to what's being shown so, more like, than actually if you what's on the screen. See a picture of a man smiling and then some yes. food, it might mean he's hungry or like Yeah, but actually um, more. The culture effect is actually that the the is is a phenomenon that was I actually I'm gonna let Mr. Halbert Hitchcock explained this. So, like in in the story in in the interview with Truffaut, Truffaut says, "I imagine that the story appealed to you primarily primarily because it represented a technical challenge, a whole film from the viewpoint of one man and embodied in a single large set." And Hitchcock responds, "Bear with me." Um, Absolutely, it was a possibility of doing a purely cinematic film. You have an immobilized man looking out. That's one part of the film. The second part shows what he sees, and the third part shows how he reacts. This is actually the purest expression of a cinematic ideal. Podolfkin dealt with this, as you know. In one of his books, The Art of the Montage, he describes an experiment by his teacher Kulshov. You see a close-up of the Russian actor, Ivan Mushkin. Uh, Mushchikin. Uh, this is immediately followed by a shot of a dead baby. Then back to uh, Mushchikin again, and you read his compassion on his face. 
Then you take away the dead baby and you show a plate of soup. And now when you cut back to Mashukin, he looks hungry. He looks yeah, hungry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yet in both cases, they actually have used the same shot of the actor. His face was exactly the same. In the same way, if you say a close-up of Jimmy Stewart looking out the window at a little dog being lowered in a basket and then back to Stewart, he has a kindly smile. But if in that place of the little dog, you show a half-naked girl exercising, you cut back to Stewart again and this time he's seen as a dirty old man. Yeah. yeah. So like, and uh, like that's the words of Mr. Hitchcock, but like that culture effect is like a phenomenon of filmmaking and a phenomenon that like we, you read more into people's expressions because of what you're shown they're looking at rather than actually what the actor's doing. And that's like a provable phenomenon. And this right, film okay. just relies on it. <laughs> like this film is all about that. Well, yeah, like, it's just him looking at things and then reacting to it. And like, yeah. Know, so like, it's all to do with the way the brain looks at editing and you bring your own kind of assumption about what his inner feelings yeah. are. So that's our bit of film school. <laughs> but I just think it's fascinating. It's the best example of that effect that exists, really. Like, and it's just worth mentioning, I felt, in this episode, really. And I guess one other thing I thought was really cool is is uh, Truffaut himself. Um, he talks about this film and he says that like he was working as a critic when he first ever saw Rear Window. And he said that he remembers writing that the picture was really gloomy it was really pessimistic and he and he felt it was quite evil and then when he went to rewatch it before talking to um hitchcock he saw it in a completely different light uh in fact i feel it has a rather compassionate approach yeah what stewart sees from his window is not horrible but simply a display of human weaknesses and then people's own pursuit of happiness i think that's a really nice mm. way of phrasing of the way this film works really also just a you know miss lonely hearts so yeah. so below below the killer is a woman who kind of is she's obviously pining for someone or she's she you see her like acting out like dates but there's obviously no one there. Yes. And um I think that's such a um I th- I found that quite heartbreaking actually when yeah. I saw it this time. And 100%. the way Jimmy Stewart like first I think he's staring at it with quite um Mrs. Me again this cool shop effect. I think first he's staring at it with quite a lot of um humor i think it's i think he thinks it's funny and a bit laughable but when she starts pouring the drinks and she sits down again she raises the glass to kind of cheers he raises his own glass a little bit to cheers back to her like and i just thought that was really sweet that was like a moment like a save the cat type moment in well i mean like you know character. so throughout you find you know she's she's gonna commit suicide i think yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. and you know he calls the police doesn't he on it, she's gonna do it but then by the end she meets someone and she meets the the piano player yeah so basically the it's top. the same scene where grace kelly breaks into the apartment so yeah. it's the scene when the music the romantic music the piano music he's the the piano writer has found the tune has found the song and so what it's you like have found in that his scene, love i guess and it's kind of like yeah that song stops her committing suicide and yeah. she peers out the window to look up at the pianoist and then at the end of the film, she's in the pianoist's like piano. But it's it's just really nice apartment. the way that kind of you know it like is. how all these characters who don't have dialogues, but they've got like fully thought out little larks and kind of yeah. I think like, her story is fantastic. When she yeah. goes out to the bar to meet a guy, um, she brings him back in again. Like and both, I think it's her and is it the is it the 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 masseuse the the, the kind of nurse? The, I think um, so. Yeah, and then he like he's and. 
yeah, he's a dick and starts kind of manhandling her, and yeah. she slaps him and throws him out of the apartment, and then breaks down and starts crying. And I just that, that stuff is really effective. And as you say, completely without dialogue, it's all little like you know he used to make silent films. He knows how to make kind of visual films, and this film is full of those little visual stories that you never actually get, you know, a close up at them apart from through the kind of camera of Jimmy Stewart. Really. Weird window. I like this film, Ali. It was, it was very, very good. Oh, it was very you good. might I'm, be able to tell. I'm sad we didn't get to watch um, Vertigo, but maybe we can do that in the next fifties. <laughs> yeah, why not? Yeah, I, it's so like I was. I, I was going to ask before we even started this. What is like your Hitchcock? Like, what is your kind of appreciation or idea of Hitchcock or experience with him? Like? Well, like I said last time, like I haven't seen that many. You know, I've seen Thirty Nine Steps. I've seen one of his older pre. Uh, you know Hollywood. That's okay, pretty. Yeah. That's one of his early ones, isn't it? Thirty nine is yeah before Hollywood. Yeah, that's a um, so I've seen that. Um, I've actually seen Rebecca. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They're very good. Um, North by Northwest and um, I love and uh, Psycho. That's it, really. Yeah. Those are all that I've seen. And you know, I don't know why I haven't like. Because I think he's fantastic, and I don't know why I haven't. Um delved into his filmography i think it's just a case of being scared it's going to be like homework again but like i don't know yeah, why i sure. think that because it's not the case i like, think um it's like i've got I, that i've got that blu-ray box set and it's like it's you know i I'm, i'll hold my hands up and it's i probably bought it to put on my shelf say mm, look at me i uh, i know Phil. <laughs> yeah do you know yeah, what i mean yeah. it's like yeah. who am i showing this off to no one comes around and looks at my <laughs> fucking blu-ray collection anyway i'm only doing it to myself like why am i I don't know. Like, so I'm gonna do my best. I keep promising I'm gonna watch all this shit, but I'm gonna do my best to kind of at least because <laughs> there's like 15, 16 films in this set. So sure. it's got. I mean, it's got all of his Hollywood films. It's got up to is it Family? What's his last film? Family something. Oh, I don't know. I always think it's Frenzy of his last film, but Frenzy isn't his last film. But yeah, like it's, yeah, um, it's got. Yeah. I can't memorize all his films he's done. Like. He did like eighty films. Like, I don't know. Like <laughs> every time I, I think I know all his films, someone will bring out another one that I've never heard of. Uh, as far as I can tell, his last family film, plot family is his plot. last film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's I find I like my idea of Hitchcock is almost like I think my dad introduced me to him. Like mm-hmm. he's kind of like I find Hitchcock really like like mid. I find him really summary as a filmmaker. Like I, I I watch Hitchcock films when I've got a day off, and and in the, and it's kind of nice weather, and I'm sitting inside with the sun pouring in, and I'm maybe I've opened wine or something like that. I find him like a bank holiday filmmaker, like a lazy Sunday afternoon or something. Well, he definitely uh, I, made it like crowd pleasing films. I think he wasn't. Yeah, like definitely, a, he's a popcorn filmmaker. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I just find it really comforting i find these films really comforting really just like warm weirdly mm. just like i think my favorite is um notorious i think is my favorite hitchcock though rear window comes very close like but there's just something wonderful about the interplay there's something really satisfying about a hitchcock film that builds to something and then does always pay off no, no, no. Hot take. Hitchcock's good at me. Hot take. Yes. Shock. <laughs> shock news. Hitchcock is good. Shock news. <laughs> read all but about I, it. Read all about it. Hitchcock good. Like. <laughs> Did you ever watch the um, the film with um, Anthony Hopkins playing him? 
No, I actually completely forgot that existed. Until yeah, I, was I didn't doing research until, for this until episode. Yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he looks so weird. Like he looks so odd in all the makeup. Yeah. <laughs> it's, Who's it's who quite, else is in that? Is it um Toby Jones has played him as well. Definitely. Did Toby Jones play cuz yeah. I know there was that whole thing of Toby Jones playing a Capote and then there was um Yeah. There's three Hitchcock portrayals. There's Hitchcock in 2012, which I forgot existed. In the same year, there was a TV film called The Girl in 2012, which um, ah yeah 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 yeah, which is uh, about um, Hitchcock's obsession with um, Hedron. This film is about Hitchcock being obsessed with Hedron to trying to make her into kind of Grace Kelly. Yeah, that's Toby Jones playing him in that. And then there was um, the Grace of Monaco, is the film about Grace Kelly. Which again, no one's seen this film. Uh, but Roger Ashton Griffiths plays Hitchcock, and oh. Roger Ashton Griffiths, if you look at him, you know exactly who he is. In so many films, and he's got such a recognisable character acting face. Like, it's worth pointing out. Like, obviously, he's in every single film he makes. So, like, just yeah. So he you said he was in the party scene, like in the the. the piano no, it's player. not the party scene. It's before the party scene. It's oh, um. It, but he's fixing the clock in the piano in, in his in his apartment. In the apartment, yeah. It's it's one of the scenes where it cuts to it, and he's like tinkering with the clock. Is it because I I for some reason I just blanked? Is it obvious that it's Hitchcock? Is it like there he is? Well, is it like a Where's Wally? It's like there he is. Yeah, kinda. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, he he always like for, in this. Do you remember? Do you remember watching Spitting Images as a kid? There was a politician, and I've forgotten who it is, an MP right. that they. That he was always spitting, okay. and like I always picture Hitchcock like that. This guy had like big jowls, and he was always spitting. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember spitting image at all. I know it existed, but I don't think I watched a single episode of it. I think I was too young. I don't think I like. I don't think it was everyone in the house. Oh, that was. I think it was Roy Hattersley. I think. Oh, okay, okay, okay. And they always had him <laughs> um, spitting, but he like loved his own spitting image character. I, just... I think it was like a. A badge of honor if you got your own spitting image. Yeah. Do you probably. not? Do you not watch it? I remember, like after, like I know we were quite young, but I always watched it on Sundays just because I liked the look of it, even though I had no idea what was going on. And I remember <laughs> I talking I about it at it, school, no. like in like year two and stuff like that. But I remember watching it. I don't think I ever saw it. Didn't they bring that back last year or something? No one needs. Yeah, they bought it back, back on BritBox, <laughs> and they were like, "No one who has BritBox." Like, <laughs> no one. <laughs> No one needs being image. Satire is different now. That's the that's my. Hot I just, I found out as well to because obviously you know uh, Prince Philip died the other week. Um, he did his funeral like, yesterday. So if you if you go on on the internet, you can find out the plan of mourning for the Queen, and apparently like there's no satirical comedy shows for ten days. Apparently after the Queen dies, which I found quite interesting. So that just means "Have I got news for you?" won't be on telly. I think. Yeah, I was going to say there isn't any satire on British television. Anymore. Exactly. Yeah, it's <laughs> so, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> Anything I haven't said, we, I don't think there's any need to go through the plot on this one. I think. I think we good, have really but, like. Yeah. yeah. Good film. Go watch it. Yeah, if you great film. Oh, okay. There's one bit. There's one bit that's really good. Um, is the wedding ring? Oh the, yes, the, yeah, 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 and the way she the points plot. at it. Oh, yeah, the, so the plot kind of bases around this wedding ring, and uh, it's a big thing that it's a double thing that she's waving the wedding ring that's actually on her finger. Yeah, it's like, hey, Stuart. come on, it's time you now put one on my finger. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's time I had one on my own, kind of thing. Like, yeah, I like it. 
Good. Good, good film. What would you good give it film. out of five? Seven. Seven. Out of five. <laughs> yeah, five out of five. I liked all this film. I've seen it too many times and I had a great time watching it, especially at the end of lockdown when it kind of feels like the rest of the world's got the quarantine, uh, sorry, the vaccine and they're, they're, they're kind of coming out of their houses, but I'm where's, still locked in. Where's our vaccine? When's, when are we going to get our info? <laughs> I don't know. They've, they've vaccinated all the old people now, so we're fine. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they're just gonna stop. <laughs> so, uh, what are we talking about next time then? Well, next time we'll do a roundup episode of the fifties. We've got Brandon coming back in again, uh, so you don't just have to listen to our droning voices. <laughs> um, and then after that, we're going to start a new mini series. Do you want to announce a new mini series, Oliver? Uh, are we doing the eighties? We are doing the eighties, the nineteen eighties, the, the Everyone... decade we were born. It's true, yeah. Um, the decade that everyone claims is their favourite decade of films, always. Everyone always says the 80s. <laughs> I know. I, it's definitely like the era of like IPs, isn't it? Like, Yeah, you know. it is. It's weird like, how like the 80s, like everything's stuck on the 80s. Like, like films from the 90s, like even though Jurassic Park, I think is a, a massive film for me it doesn't feel like an IP that like, I know I know they make toys of it but it still doesn't feel like have that I don't know like I don't know what I'm I know what you mean I know but, like Independence mean. Day didn't like make you know it was a big film but it didn't make a massive mark on the world and <laughs> sure. you know Twister you didn't get you know Twister versus Volcano did you for several years later or whatever I want to watch Twister versus Volcano that sounds like <laughs> the best film <laughs> <laughs> but like you know <laughs> You know, things are still go- like we're getting a Ghostbusters sequel from a night from nineteen eighty nine to now. Like you know, like what the fuck? <laughs> the Bill 80s and Ted. It, yeah, it's like when it's, it's you're right. It's so many franchises were invented in this 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 era. It's when everything went super commercialization. Like everything got toys, everything got sold to kids, everything got like like burnt into kind of what culture would be. And we're struggling constantly to get past the eighties, even when they make films set in the like. In the past, it's always like '80s stuff and '80s things and '80s music and like that. We, I, and... Guess, I guess we should probably apologise to all our listeners. Like, unfortunately, we won't be talking about any of those films. Though, no, we've we're not. seen them all. <laughs> yeah. So we're doing an alternate '80s film. Yeah. <laughs> but it'd be good. We got some really good films lined yeah, up. We, have. we got some British horror films. We got some like American kind of bigger films, like kind of big franchise like attempts. And we'll talk about it more. I think on our first episode. I, I don't understand though how our '50s has managed to span over six months. I don't understand how that's happened. <laughs> how has that happened? I don't know. <laughs> oh, oh no! Is it six months or is it? It's know. five or six months. Like in my head, oh, it should be three months, and that's it. And then, yeah, then it's, it's about one. five months. Yeah, six months. It's crazy. <laughs> it's because our recording schedule is bonkers. Like, yeah. can we take breaks now and again? But that's fine. It's breaks. fine. Life happens. Life happens. I like taking breaks. Right. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, don't forget, you can reach out to us on Twitter. We are at Adjust Your Track. That's with a Y, not a your. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on whatever you listen to us on, be that Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Amazon things, the YouTube things. We're on all of them. Please comment. Deezer. Please please subscribe. Please like. Please do all the things. Do something. And yeah, don't forget, if the picture's bad, always adjust your tracking.